Hello and welcome to episode 182 of The Great and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston. It is the 29th of March, 2017, and tonight I'm joined by Alex Wiltshire. Good evening. Hi, Alex. Hello. We're the only two left. Yeah, this is nice. It is nice in here. <laughs> Together. Just just you and I. So intimate. It is quite intimate. We so can whisper the whole way through. Let's not. <laughs> uh, let's just... Let's, let's not. Um... <laughs> So yeah, so it's just you and I because, wow, what a busy, busy week we're having. Everything's going on. Everything's going on. Res kicks off, doesn't it? Res kicks off tomorrow, I believe, as we're recording this, but Pip's off there already. Tom Senior is, is, is buried under a pile of something, I think. Work, I believe. Large PC boxes with... Warhammer. Oh, it was war. (laughs) Warhammer boxes. Who can say? So yeah, so, uh, by the time you listen to this, presuming that you are listening to it the day we release it, uh, we'll be at Rezzed getting ready to do our first ever live pod. That's super exciting. It is super exciting. I'm not done plugging it. I'm not done mentioning it. Tell me, what, what, you, are you on a stage at the thing or are you at a venue nearby? We're at a, a stage at the thing. One cool. of the developer stages to do, yeah, to, to, to do it live. Uh, God knows how that's going to work with uh, me, uh, Pip and Graham. What do you think that they'll think about your actual bodies and faces well we because they probably got quite a you know you're all quite dashing in their minds so uh, i see what you're getting at the um disappointment <laughs> i mean um the crushing so, disappointment is what i was getting yeah at. yeah well i mean we, we already <laughs> experienced this a little bit because we've done the two christmas podcasts that both had video comp- video alternative versions and both years that we've done that there's been a wave of um polite disappointment <laughs> from our valued listeners uh there's been an element of wow i i didn't hmm the, the first time this happened was when we got the microphones that we're now using the microphones that mean that whispering is a bad idea because it undercuts <laughs> that investment after we started the patreon when i think um someone took a photo of me and marsh you know smiling and gurning next to our uh lovely new audio setup and the first response to that tweet was uh <laughs> <laughs> I, so uh hmm so that's what you oh oh okay <laughs> and uh, no one uh, when you uh when you unsubscribe from a patreon there's an exit survey and no one no one was ever honest enough to let us know that that is why they had there's a checkpoint on the exit survey saying yeah were you disappointed in their <laughs> physical appearance yeah, exactly <laughs> um were chris and marsh not the towering chiseled <laughs> opinion having <laughs> monoliths you were led to believe um now graham graham actually hand, is yeah, yeah he's he's like a stern knight i believe i mean i would say that um graham pip and tom francis are probably the yeah. the least disappointing members of the crate and a crowbar to behold <laughs> leaving um marsh tom senior yourself and myself as, <laughs> <laughs> i'm the as, least, i'm the most disappointing as, <laughs> no you're not alex uh, aging man that happens to everybody <laughs> uh as the people best uh, best served by this medium shall we say but thank you for for, for joining me as we that's been nice another pod nice. Done. also i mean this week has also been busy because we've we got the new episode of the miniatures podcast that tom senior and i do that went up this week and also as a surprise bonus, Tom Francis mailed in a uh, a hour long podcast on Horizon Zero Dawn, um, which went up today. So there's loads of pod 
for your pod time. Enormous amount of pod time. Just a huge amount of pod. We're also getting Tom Francis back very soon. Yeah, it must be very soon. Within a week or so, I think. Mm. So I don't know if it'll be in time for next episode, but maybe the one after that. So we'll we'll see if you're a Tom F fan. A Tom Francis, you might say. <laughs> and you get a double hit as well because yeah. of this week. Yeah, he's been um he likes Verizon. He does. Lot. He does like, like it a lot. Verizon. Yeah. And it's also nice to set a precedent for doing a little bit of coverage of console games. Yeah. Just on the side. Just cheekily out there on the side. Maybe one day you and I would have a chance to talk about Zelda. Oh, what a game that is. It's lovely. It's lovely. It's lovely. Speaking of um console games. Speaking of console games, that's actually a really good segue. Did you like it? Yeah. Good job, Alex. <laughs> I came up with it about 30 seconds ago. That's how thought, se- Gotta wait for the right second. That's how segues always work. So this week, and I guess this will serve as this week's news, uh, they released the first teaser trailer, trailer for a trailer for Destiny 2. Ooh. Ooh. Now you and I played a lot of Destiny, Alex. We played a lot of Destiny together. We did. It was a fine old time. It's a lovely time. And it was a time that we have skirted around talking and failed to skirt around talking about on the pod. <laughs> uh, because it's not a PC game, because that was our PS4 oasis away from away from the day day job on on pc but um there's every rumor points towards destiny 2 coming to pc and they have done for a while like bungie hiring pc people and not only that but the the stuff that's sort of implied and revealed by the latest trailer seems to heavily match rumors that were coming out on places like neogaf for the last couple of months um and those rumors all also included and it will be on the next gen consoles and PC. Which makes makes total sense. Like yeah. in many ways it's kinda of crazy that it didn't the first Destiny didn't come out on PC, given that they were free of console kind of shackles and under an Activision which presumably would love to have had it on another platform. Yeah, indeed. I think it's strange, but like I love that game for reasons that are totally platform agnostic. Yeah. Like it's an extremely good shooter. Um it has it's a absorbing, well realized sci fi setting, um with some brilliant writing hidden away among some bad. Um but that improved a lot over the course of its first year and its expansion and that kind of thing. Just incidentally, the um, the classic. Did you hear that the uh, the classic, the wizard, is on? What's uh, that wizard came from the moon. It's back in. They did they reinsert it into they've done the. A, they've done an update uh, today, which has reinst- reinserted <laughs> the, the line, line. <laughs> just as like a, a parting gift. What a journey that game has been on. <laughs> because that was the thing, right? When they launched the game, it was about uh, Peter Dinklage earnestly telling you total nonsense and that was what i liked about it. <laughs> i loved it i absolutely i was into that that was a sort of part of the charm the kind of like the earnest delight it took in total ridiculousness yeah it want, it was a you know it's a 70s paperback at where everyone yeah. takes everything very seriously so peter dinklish will deadpan tell you that wizard <laughs> came from the moon and this is earth-shattering information um and then a year in, they swapped out Peter Dinklage for Nolan North, um, playing your robot pal. And the tone of the game lifted a lot. It became a lot more banter heavy and, um, a lot sillier and, and a lot better, snappier and better performed and, and more entertaining moment to moment. And not a lot was lost because a lot of the best kind of like hard sci-fi stuff came in at the same time. Yeah. Um, but it did feel like 
they did it did feel like they treated that initial earnest silliness almost like as a mistake to learn from yeah so it, it makes me it makes me happy that now that that, that that now that destiny one is entering its twilight they've recommitted to the true soul of that game which is the line that wizard came from the moon <laughs> and nicely enough it's like it, it's nolan north doing the line i, I understand so um, does he try and channel i don't know i haven't heard it i should have i should have watched the video a bit mm, yeah no we'll um we'll link in the show notes maybe to i mean i imagine someone by now is in a side-by-side comparison of those readings of this in my way in, in, in my eyes defining <laughs> the defining moment of probably the last five years in, in all video games. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, scrambling for good sci-fi in games after the, the the culmination of the original Mass Effect trilogy, and you just got to find it where you get it. And sometimes that means a wizard that comes from the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that wizard really did come from the moon. There's nothing abstract about that. Just... And what I really loved about it is that, like, once you've played the game for 100 hours like it does actually make totals mm. no, the ridiculousness is completely gone like you you retain the charm in that line but you, that is ridiculous because there are wizards and you know about the wizards and you've been shooting wizards for yep. the past hundred hours and it, it is significant to the future of the last city that that particular yep. wizard was not from one of the hive cabals on earth <laughs> but was in fact from a moon cabal um, because that indicates the greater involvement of the moon hive in Russia, yeah, which is yeah. pretty substantial information. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it changed everything. It did. You know what I mean? It's you know for the guardians, for the guardians of the last city, <laughs> beings infused with light, accompanied by small robots. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, gaming is reaching around for its for its uh, pinter, <laughs> um, <laughs> and there, you, there you have it. Um, nonetheless, though, I am really excited about Destiny 2. And actually, the thing that stands out a lot about the teaser trailer that went up this week is it is full in banter clock. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, so the character, uh, that you see in that video is, um, Cade 6. Cade 6. Cade 6, who's a, who's a hunter, which means that he's a gunslinging. Cape wearing. Cape wearing, hiding in a clump of grass, seeing banter banter king. banter king banter slinger <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little roboty mouth uh and he's a robot and he wears he's got a got a hood so he's got like a little bit of a thief mm. a kind of banter thief yeah uh, and him. played by nathan fillion yeah um since the launch of the original game started off as a sort of player mentor with a few lines and was popular enough that he's now become a kind of poster character for the game yeah because like halfway through the kind of destiny one's kind of sets of content releases expansions they um they pumped up the presence of of characters that, that you encounter in the hub areas so k6 being one of them especially if you're a hunter character yeah and he's a sort of a fan beloved character now and i mean there's a, a moment of um pure fan service in that trailer where it's revealed that he's talking to the sweeper robot from the tower which is destiny's sort of social hub area where it has one robot who's just been sweeping the same corner of the <laughs> tower now for three years um who like npcs and mmos often do even though he has no lines has become a kind of fan favorite <laughs> you know um feature so it feels like they're leaning really hard into the way destiny was actually received rather than the tone it initially established itself which is actually a really interesting decision because 
the, the monologue that Cade Six delivers in that trailer sounds like a Destiny player talking about playing Destiny. Yeah. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, Rather than, compared to the tone with which they initially aspired for Destiny to be received, if that makes sense. Yeah. That initial mood was all about, you know, it was, it's pretty heavy. It was all about Bill Nighy yeah. very seriously telling you yeah. the light of the traveler has faded, but you have not over and over again. Lots of mystery. And then this is kind of putting forward the perma war, like where going into battle is, is fun, fun. Yeah. and kind of like run of the mill and, you know, something you do every day. And that's really nice. Yeah. And, and like, it's something they started to get towards a lot more with the fiction as Destiny 1 wore on, where I think they started to make quite, because I really like Destiny's fiction. And I think one of the reasons for that is they started to make quite good use of the fact that the plot point that guardians who are the player characters can't die. So while a certain generation of people in that world take combat very seriously, they also acknowledge that there's a whole generation of kind of mute sociopaths that definitely don't um who are constantly dying just to see what happens and kind of will go into impossible situations dancing in an ex there's actually an explicit reference to that which is a reference to the sheer number of dance emotes in in destiny <laughs> at this point um but yeah i'm really excited I, i'm excited about having it back partly because i don't think i've ever played a more gratifying co-op game yeah really like cracking those raids because you were there for the first vault glass we did right Where? uh yeah oh no i was um i joined the gang with uh second like the crota's end crota's end mm. yeah which was also great yeah it was always an adventure i have to admit though i think there's a part of me that would prefer to play it on console again is that because it's an island away from it's like a holiday there was an element to which destiny was like an island of sort of total hot take free mm. sanity away from i know that in, i know it wasn't that for people who worked on on multi-platform mm -mm. uh mags and, and websites for me it was like this place i could go which was just like the joy of playing a game and you didn't have friends. to have an opinion you didn't, yeah yeah i mean i ended up writing about the game anyway because inevitably you do but like yeah it was free of that also i think bungie are unproven making mouse and keyboard shooters but are yeah, the masters really interesting yeah like are the absolute masters yeah. when it comes to designing a shooter for a pad and i think I, you know i think they're, they're almost subtly different experience deliberately subtly different experiences like the way you need to design a game to make it feel amazing with a control pad yeah. which i think it absolutely can um is different to how you design a um a kind of perfect twitch mouse and keyboard shooter and I don't think I mean, those things are hard to reconcile. And I, I want them to make the best pad shooter they can because they, they nailed it with Destiny. And I think it would be a shame if they loosened things up too much to make uh, mouse and keyboard play a priority. Yeah. I mean, if you, if I've watched quite a few things uh, by Destiny's kind of designers about how much uh, effort they put into every element of the animation of guns as you're kind of shooting and moving through space and like even down to the position of the of the reticle on the screen you know mm -hmm. that it's like not in the dead center it's it's just below the center um which does all sorts of things like uh it gives you greater sense of awareness above and uh the fact that the fov is weird mm -hmm. um they me mess around they add kind of width to your fov it's kind of i kind of struggle to explain it and only half understand it but it's all this sort of experiential stuff that works for a, a pad yeah and 
not necessarily for a, a mouse and keyboard. Whether, I mean, you know, there are innumerable games which support mouse and keyboard and pad um, mm. and they feel great, but don't know. Does yeah, don't know. I think, I think that's the thing is, is they, what they are so good at is um, honing every single aspect of that shooting guns at people experience yeah. to the point where every part of it feels brilliant. But yeah, you would probably struggle to identify each of the things that makes it good because it is things like very subtle FOV tweaks in, in certain scenarios or mm. yeah, like you say, moving the cursor slightly. Like I found myself like my memories of destiny are never of wrestling with the interface or the controls. It's always just sort of sinking perfectly into the zone with the game. Yeah. The characters are hyper mobile, but that works. And I think because so much of playing a shooter on the PC is often about um, um, tweaking settings and coming up with your own setup, which works perfectly for some games, it almost feels like the antithesis of how Bungie designs shooters to some extent. Yeah, you get your sensitivity slider and that's it. Yeah, like the the video where someone tells you how to adjust the FOV, I kind of don't want, I almost don't want you to be able to do that. Yeah. Like I feel like my ideal FOV setting for for a Bungie game is just please let Bungie do this right and i trust them but you know that's not i mean you know when you go back to destiny after you know playing another game especially on pc you feel the view is really kind of sort of you're missing you know lots of peripheral vision even though you're you know which feels absolutely fine you know yeah a minute later or 30 seconds later but i can see that they will know that if they do apply console aesthetics to a pc game that will be the leading issue with it with most players yeah i totally get that i think the other thing that concerns me is hacking Mm. um uh, you know destiny destiny is a lot like the division which did come out on pc it came out earlier destiny and and those two games are interesting because uh the complaints that the player base had about them after a certain amount of time are very similar to do with endgame content loot balance and, and things like that and the systems didn't quite gelled together um and i haven't played the division since it launched but by all accounts it's had its own journey similar to how destiny had a journey the one major 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 problem that the division had that destiny didn't was hacking on pc and it's because destiny didn't come out on pc and that stuff is harder to achieve on on console mm. and what i'm not saying is the games shouldn't come out on pc because of the danger of hacking However, I, while I, you know, yeah, Bungie almost certainly can come up with a system that works just as well mouse and keyboard as it does with a pad. I don't know, as a company that's not done very much PC development since the first Halo, really, I guess. Um, I don't know how much experience they have of running a live game where hacking is a danger. And I'd want them to take that very, very seriously. I mean, they'll have, they'll have Activision, you know, Call of Duty kind of pc you know mm. experience you know available i guess i suppose so but um i would it would be a reason it, I, I given that i own a playstation it would be enough to i'll probably go on my friends go ultimately but it would be enough for me to yeah i think it's a reason. platform because it's a game about the magic of kind of wanting to do stuff you know and kind of working for it yeah not for instant gain and ganking yeah, indeed. And, 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 you know, the, it has such a robust competitive side, um, which had its own problems with sort of lag switches and things like that, like console games sometimes do, but nothing on the scale that PC games can have that I want to 
that maintaining the integrity of that experience would be super important to me that said if they do a system where your account progress because the, the game as it currently exists has like extensive apps and websites and things all plug into the game's api so the the infrastructure is clearly there to allow you to have one account and plug into that account on any platform you want which i think would probably be the best fit for the game yeah like maybe you end up on different servers but one account something like that um if they do that i'll probably never play anything else that's me lost <laughs> <laughs> is there anything about destiny you'd like them to change given our experience like regardless of pc-ness just moving into a sequel it would it would be to give it the scale that it's or it it spends a lot of kind of time trying to convince you of mm. you know um like destiny is a set of levels and some hubs yeah and the hubs there's only one hub that really means anything. Some of the hubs it makes you go over because you got to speak to a character that is in that hub. Yeah. The reef um, has lovely music. Yeah, the reef is beautiful. I love it there, but there's no reason to go there, yeah. you know, because the tower is where more characters are and it's where you kind of go by default. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, building out that sense of scale, you know, um, while retaining the focus, like, because I think that, my personal journey through that game was one where I, you know, I was sold on the sense of scale that the, those kind of magic filled kind of like, you know, whispering Bill Nye kind of, you mm. know, your light, your guardian, uh, stuff, um, that they would try to hint at a vast universe that you were mm. freely wandering, you know, or whatever. Um, and actually it was just seven hours. Um, and one of them was a hub, which you couldn't really do very much in. Um, I would like, I would like to be in that. I, I spent mm. a lot of time playing Destiny in the, um, uh, the collection. Oh, well, I can't remember what it's called now. I haven't, I haven't actually played for about six months or a year. Yeah. Now. yeah I took a break after What is the one where you yeah, the, the levels where you just go around just, um, picking up little mini missions and, and collecting the, um, stuff. patrol zones, patrol zones. And I spent a lot of time just wandering around them just enjoying the sense of movement this, the controls mm. the headshotting stuff you know that was way below your level so it's nice and easy and it's just a really just enjoying that feel but also being in the place mm. and i want just more of that being in a place and feeling that it stretches out yeah there was definitely when i first went through destiny I found myself almost like mentally rationing out the locations, get a sense of how limited it was going to be. Yeah, that's, that yeah. sense of discovery is, is important. That said, there was, there was a nice, I still loved returning to that game partly because after a while you just have the sense of mastery of those, over those environments yeah. and you can just sort of immediately get to where you need to be and, and complete the objective you want to complete. And then when they did expand it to include substantial new zones, first the dreadnought and then the other half of yeah. earth, um, that, stuff felt like oh wow look at this and eventually you get a sense of the scope of it but it had that you know it, it, world of warcraft has done this for years of having that moment where you step into you get so used to a place but that when it gets bigger it's the most amazing feeling of like whoa we've never been here before with your friends yeah and death needs to be very good at that as well so i'm happy for them to i would like them to maintain the crafted sense of those environments like i wouldn't want them to go towards expansiveness yeah it's not about it's not making an open world it definitely isn't you know giving people just an open map that's not necessarily what i want mm. it's probably about so you're you know there are these places on the moon i remember when the um where the wizards come from where yeah, where the, the wizard's house yeah <laughs> um 
uh, they they did the during the beta, uh, they um, uh, it was the moon level um, that you went to, and it was basically a patrol mission. I seem seems to remember. Yeah. And um, Tim Edwards and I uh, went out onto it, and um, we got into an area that I don't think we were meant to, and we just ended up wandering right down into the depths of the hive um, on the moon, mm. and we got trapped down there, like. The, we had these kind of markers telling us where we should be and like a door had closed and it wouldn't open again and we were completely lost and it was the most exciting thing in the world we felt that we were kind of exploring places where you shouldn't be mm. um and like for, for me these kind of warrens that were extending underneath the moon yeah um became like you know they were full of doors that may or may not open yeah or and, open on certain missions and not yeah, others yeah and that was that sense like in in effect, you know, in in practice, you know, pra- in practical terms, what that meant was that some of the doors opened when you went to a certain mission, which meant mm-hmm. loading up a certain mission from the most mission selector map. Um, what I'd like is a more ambient sense of the missions for mm-hmm. you to be doing stuff like with something that the dreadnought was um, was doing, which was this ship just by Saturn or something like that yeah. that you went out to. It's a hive ship, um, and. In this place, uh, if you performed certain actions, all of which initially when it, when the expansion came out were total mysteries and people figured out that you could do certain things and that would open the doors and access areas. And then, you know, I want this sense of kind of discovery, you mm. know, uh, constant ambient discovery as things were added to the game and, you know, places, you know, get expanded. And yeah. I think lovely. that's. Yeah, I'd love I'd love them to to incorporate missions more seamlessly because I remember the first time I because I didn't realize that it definitely allows you to load into its zones either in a mission which might be single player or in multiplayer. Yeah. But even when you're in what is functionally a single player instance, you will go through areas of the map that are always multiplayer or always shared, and it has this sort of seamless transition as you move in and out of areas that other players can be in, and um. I was very lucky very early in my time at the game to encounter a public event during what I thought was a single player mission because I passed through a little area of the open world that happened to have a, a satellite drop out of space at that oh, exact cool. moment, yeah. which creates this kind of um, wave survival mini mission within a single player mission. And I was there like, oh, okay, maybe this is something that just triggers in this mission or it triggers sometimes in this mission. And I went over to start defending this satellite crater and suddenly another player's there and they're helping me. And then another player's there and then they wave and bugger off and I go back to single player, yeah. which is such a be- beautiful trick um, that when you know how it works, it's not a trick. It's just a part of how Destiny functions. But it feels like, uh, and that was some of the stuff that they originally promised about Destiny when they were kind of advertising why it was structured the way it was and structured. And people did, it was very badly explained and nobody really figured out what it really meant. Yeah. But that's what they meant when by the, I think they call it a shared world shooter or something like yeah. that, not an MMO. Um, something that delivered on that promise more regularly, I think, would be very yeah. welcome. I think that ties into the same thing of of seeding the missions more naturally and organically into the the open world yeah. zones. Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Hey. We said the same word. Yeah, we're the same mind. Indeed. It's because we're sitting so closely together. Indeed. Well, I mean, you know, there's only one chair in here. It's a really small chair. It is. Practically a stool. <laughs> so uh, before before I ask you what you've been playing, Alex, um, I did want to make a quick announcement on behalf of the Crate and Crowbar community. Uh, because the Crate and Crowbar um, Discord community and our Steam community and or, I guess, both, who knows? 
I should know, but I don't, um, are running a community series of 1v1 tournaments very, very soon. So I said I'd give them a shout out, and I'm going to do it now before I forget. So these are being run um, by Oddwood Frenry from our community. They are 1v1 tournaments in Dota 2, for Honor, Jedi Knight 2, and Rocket League, which is a fine selection of games. Jedi Knight 2, that's good. Yeah, man. man. It's been resurrected since the PC Gamer event, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that, you know, I, I, that is fundamentally my enthusiasm for putting that game on that stage, um, mixed with apparently the fact that the Creative Crowbar community is mad for them lightsaber duels what from many many years ago um but also for honor which i also really enjoyed and uh rocket league and dota the uh there'll be info for signing up for these tournaments in the show notes to this episode but the deadline for signups is sunday the 2nd of april which is very very soon so if you're listening to this and that date has passed then unfortunately you've become a victim of how time works um but a victim to time yeah time victim but you may well still have time to sign up so pop to the show notes at com and check it out. I I don't think there are prizes or anything except for the knowledge that you're better at stuff than other members of the Crate and Crowbar community, which in many ways is the ultimate prize. <laughs> it is. Prove that you're no time victim by conquering <laughs> time itself in the form of your fellow people. <laughs> Competition. That's what we're in it for. That's That's what we're in it, to win it. Well, just to participate. Who can say? I'm really bad at shout outs, it turns out. That was, that's that was good. I, I mean, it's sold. I think I'm sold on it. Really? What would your yeah. game of choice be out of that set? Uh, I've, <laughs> I've never played, uh, Jedi Knight 2. It's good. I played about five minutes of For Honor. It's good. <laughs> what was the first one? Oh, Dota 2. Oh, don't. Don't. <laughs> Stop it. Luke, this is, this, this chair's going to get mighty claustrophobic if you just don't <laughs> No, I, I respect it. I just, I can't get into that. I'm no, really old. Who has the time? Um, I'm too old. Um, and uh, Rocket League. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's too quick. And it's football. Yeah. The game that, I was going to say it breaks friendships, but I think the game just breaks people. Yeah. In a good I, way. I just, I just sort of, people seem to be so miserable after they play. Mm. It's certainly a fact. It's, it sort of goes with the territory of competition, though. <laughs> It's like fifty percent of competition. Fifty percent of the people hate it at any so, given time. <laughs> so you, what you should, how you should have done the shout out was: Do you want to feel disappointed? Yeah. We've devised a system that will make one person happy and everyone else involved a little bit sad. Where do you want to end up on the sad ladder? Enter a competition to find out. Because no one truly likes coming second. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, no, seriously, you know, hang out with our red community and play cool games. And please imagine that was a better and more enthusiastic chat <laughs> than it actually was. Alex, what have you been playing? Help. Um, in fitting with my like <laughs> description of my relationship with multiplayer games, I've been playing resolutely single player Night in the Woods. Lovely. Um, I've heard very good yeah. things about Night in the Woods. Yeah. I like yeah. it, but I'm not sure. Mm. I haven't quite finished it yet. I know it's not a particularly long game, but it can feel very long because you spend a lot of time kind of sort of tapping your way through conversations. Um, and, um, I think the conversation, the dialogue is good pretty much. 
This is the you're a cat. Yeah, you're a cat. Adventure. That a, I, I a millennial cat. <laughs> uh, who has returned to uh, her hometown, um, which is in sort of depressed mid America somewhere. Cat Detroit. Yeah. Kind of just outside some woods. Mm. Uh, and you are catching up with, you've, you've dropped out of um, college and, um, you're catching up with all your friends and your family. Um, and through this process, you'll learn, well, as a player, you'll learn why your character has dropped out and about various things in her past. And also there's some kind of mystery going on in the town, none of which I'll talk about um, mm. because spoils, but, um, it's a, it's a weird game. Um, I have been enjoying it despite itself a lot of time, but what I really, really do like very much about it is its setting, which is, um, this kind of rust belt town. It's like, um, uh, industry has departed this place mm. or is slowly and it's slowly dying. Um, you spend a lot of time in the game wandering around the town. Um, it's like a platformer when you're not discuss- uh, you know, chatting to people, um, which is a s- f- funny decision. I think that it's mostly there to kind of give you something to do mm. um, rather than, you know, simply kind of going from conversation to conversation. It's not a massively um, – I, I believe there's far more choice and uh, different uh, pathways going on in the dialogue and storyline than, than you're really aware of. Um, but you don't really feel like heavyweight sort of stuff. So you're doing this kind of um, – you're constantly just jumping up and down because it's something to do. Um, uh, between these conversations, but through, as you're going through the town, it's full of empty shops and people hanging around, kind of, you know, queuing outside kind of council offices and, um, and talking to your friends who are all pretty sad about their kind of lot in life. One of your friends who is kind of the most sort of, um, uh, uh, kind of promising of them, the most kind of academically kind of successful, um, she, is now running a hardware shop and she's really bored and overworked and depressed. And your best friend is kind of, he's just sort of noodling through life, kind of running a band, but kind of not really going anywhere. And he works in a kind of a seven 11 kind of convenience store. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a depiction of a town and a time and a place, which is really strong. I think very much of its time, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a, this is this is the place from which you know Trump and his following have gained you know the greatest kind of weight um and through these characters you kind of get to understand something of that um you know I'm far older you know I'm a generation Xer and it's uh, I'm watching girls at the same time um with my wife and uh it's been interesting to see these two things at once kind of mm. these two depictions of kind of 20 something kind of modern life what I've heard it praised for is the kind of naturalistic way in which it handles conversations. Is that not quite as right? Not, it's not quite as naturalistic as something like Oxenfree, um, mm. where, you know, you can't ever kind of um, interject. Uh, but you do, it's written in a simple and a very sensitive way. So the choices in dialogue that you get are speak for the character, but also give you the ability ability to you know both empathize with them and feel you can put a bit of yourself into it you can be a dick or you can be nice you know mm. um but they're all very much in the character um it's i think it's pretty light it's 
it's written with a light touch, which is really well, right, nicely mm. done. And I was going to say also, I, I, I played a little bit with my son watching as well, and he's uh, 11, and which is, some of the game probably isn't all that appropriate for him to watch, but probably okay, probably aren't it's animals. causing too many to get it's animals. It's animals. I mean, it's animals talking about sex. <laughs> it can't be, it can't be a scarier deployment of animals than Warship Down. Or That's animals true. with farthing wood. You see, my 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 boy, I don't think he would better deal with with uh, watership down. No, few people. I probably couldn't few now. People can. Yeah, <laughs> few people can. But um, he, uh, I got to. I mean, he, he was kind of really interested in it. And I got to kind of explain, you know, it's kind of cultural touch points mm. to him, which is really, you, you know, which kind of suddenly, oh, okay, I, I kind of. You know, that's, that's what this game is about. I think it kind of sells itself on it being a mystery, mm. uh, with a lot, you know, spooky music and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's there, maybe it isn't. Um, uh, but I think for me, the heart is in actually kind of social realism, which is surprising given that it's about little animals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and rare enough in games as it is. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 So in terms of how you, progress is it jumping and talking is there more to it than so that in terms of- i've been pleasantly surprised by actually how open it is so it's structured over a course of days and mm. you on a day uh you will get up and it's kind of the game makes it clear that it you know you get up really late in the afternoon and you're kind of coasting um some really interesting stuff with your parents like dramatic stuff with your parents about being their kid and various things have happened in the past, which is, you know, which means having conversations with them, bookending the day, you know, you speak to your mum in the morning and you often speak to your dad at the end of the day. They book, bookend it. And in the middle, you'll go into the town. Um, and, uh, uh, I should actually explain that in your room, there's a computer and you can go on the computer. Um, and there's a little chat kind of room on there and you can talk to your friends and they'll say, Oh, I'm just in the hardware shop. Come and see me. So you can go and see these friends and they'll say, oh, do you want to hang out today? And you'll often usually have a choice of one or the other to choose from. And um, and depending on who you spend the most, most time with and, you know, because it's structured over days and certain things happened on certain days um, mm. in that, this progression, um, you will get closer to one character more than another. Mm. Which, which means actually very naturalistic you're choosing it's very similar if you've played or whether anybody listening has played the persona series um i haven't but i understand persona 5 just came out right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. very good reviews um it's a little bit like that if you've played it where you know where the game part of it a lot of the game comes in making choices over where you invest your time right um and that's why i'm here because because once you go out on your jaunt with your friend then you get a story sort of playing out for that time mm. and you go home at the end of the day and you go to sleep um a bit like real life a bit like real life and then you have a dream uh and then you get these weird platform challenges in these dreams where you're like finding people playing instruments jazz instruments and stuff in a dreamscape just like a real life yeah. life yeah um yeah i it's um th- there's there is actually quite a lot of agency going on quietly um but it's it is it's a, it's a strange game. You do feel a lot of the time that you're kind of wandering along, kind of waiting for the game to give you stuff. It's not mm. overt with its kind of 
you are the writer of this story stuff which right. which it could be and you probably might you may might feel a bit more engagement with it as a result um but it's a yeah a tentative mm, mm. from me the uh, let's do noise reviews today i like that i've, I've always been an advocate of noise reviews as a replacement for scores <laughs> i think i'm definitely up for that like, yeah, yeah i wanted to make a magazine that had one of those little sound chips from a birthday card in it so you <laughs> open the final page of a review it would go hmm what mm. i'd like is like so you you keep your your stack of magazines for you know a decade or two and you go through them you know and they've gone all <laughs> and then all the glatches have gone it's sort of <laughs> 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 how what did i make of uh resident evil 4 <laughs> oh, i was right <laughs> things that have aged better or worse yeah yeah i don't know why i picked resident evil 4 that's fabulous game still a fabulous game that would that would be an enduring wait <laughs> wow what thank god been... for writers um what have you been playing so i have finished up stories untold mm. which um i've been looking forward to talking about actually and sort of waiting for a window a pod window in which to talk about it because i um even though so it is a a very short two to three hour um science fiction experience science fiction horror experience question mark is it who knows perhaps um it is made by no code um the lead developer for whom made all of the ui stuff for alien isolation so it is a set in it well it's, it has a very 80s aesthetic and it um well on the surface it has a very 80s aesthetic and it is all about in the first person interacting with um a very chunky analog feeling machines um through a series of seemingly unrelated at first scenarios so the game has four episodes each of which lasts between half an hour and about half an hour to be honest mm. each um the first one which is called the house abandoned which i think was released as a, as a, as a standalone it's game a free worth game yeah. yeah that the rest of this grew into has you sat in a a room with with some very 70s wallpaper um playing a text adventure game on a spectrum basically or a tape loaded it's more of a more of a commodore 64 i knew it was one of them old man computers <laughs> but this stuff's from all before i was born it's on a green screen as well which yeah. is nice it's a really clunky sounding yeah case. yeah you're right more of a more of a commodore so and then um it has it does interesting horror meta things with with that experience um i'm, I'm going to skirt around spoilers but it's not spoilers to say some of the things are in it the next one has you um tinkering tinkering with um chunky lab equipment a later one has you using a microfilm uh, reader or microfiche reader and um radios that you can tune and things like that in order to perform tasks in in a series of kind of atmospheric settings and you know so it's best viewed as a a series of experiences like short first person experiences that might in another context have been vr experiences they're not miles off from a lot of what those games do um there are elements but it would definitely work in vr um but they're about having these sort of like short immersive experiences um that then um stitch together into a overall story and the entire thing takes you about a movie's length of time to see all of 
And there's loads that I find really interesting about it. Um, I think it's overall very successful um, because the production values are mm. like impeccable mm. for particularly for a relatively small team. They're very carefully kind of focused. They've put everything into a small number of things. Every pixel in that game matters and it looks gorgeous. It's like it really carries that alien isolation kind of attention to detail. Like yeah. it, it makes sense. It's the same person. Um, for the most part, at least. There's um, So there's there is a you know every device that needs to look and feel good looks and feels great like um you know it is it is the sort of the kind of creative end point of the idea that was established the moment doom 3 let you type into the computer terminals or use a mouse on the computer terminals using your actual mouse while also being a character in a first person shooter like it's that notion of having these tactile believable interfaces that are more than just pressing use on a piece on a computer screen in a game um tell a story in addition to the things that are happening physically around your character in the world around them and from a storytelling point of view one thing i do really like about that is um it's very effective as a piece of suggestive horror which is primarily what it is and that i think makes it almost a more effective vector for certain types of science fiction particularly the stuff that follows after lovecraft um, than a lot of games because a lot of sort of, you know, cosmic horror or kind of um, sort of high concept sci-fi horror is all about threats that are kind of intuited than rather than literally seen. Given that it comes after Alien Isolation, which is a game about literally being hunted by a, a scary Geiger-esque phallic monstrosity, mm. this is more about the threats you're intuiting from the things you're reading which is sort of the ultimate version of Lovecraft. Like people, I think, always forget that basically the narrators in every Lovecraft story, well, in the most famous stories, very rarely see the monsters themselves. They always read an account of someone else seeing the monster and then intuit something about how that affects their own life or present situation. And then they realize, oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. That's basically the end of every Lovecraft story. Um, it has an element of that that I think really, really works. And there's... Uh, and so for that reason, and the fact that it's like a fiver or something, I sort of thoroughly recommend it. The The stuff that I have, I don't think it's perfect, however. And I think it has, and there are things that I, I can't say without spoiling, but there's something about, well, so there's there's, there's a few things. One is that I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it sticks its landing. Um, I think it, underperforms in its final act. I don't want to say too much, basically, but I feel like um, it doesn't resolve in a way that I was particularly happy with as someone who was sort of getting invested in it. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, even though you're not investing a huge amount of time, there's an element of, ah, okay. Um, the other is that the production values aren't, super consistent and i think mm. so one of the things that specifically in the fact that i know that some of the developers did some of the voice acting and even though it's mm. um even though it's not it's never it's never bad at all i don't think it's all of a consistent standard and when a game is that much about details and believing everything um or if not believing everything then 
you know feeling the kind of reality of of everything that you're you're seeing in this narrow slice of world that you're put in front of um when the voice acting doesn't come off quite right isn't quite convincing i think it, it does hurt the experience and yeah. that might just be the project of being a small team project project but it feels like the 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 performance aspect of it isn't quite up to the same standard as the visual aspect of it um which is simply a, i think a, a problem that is fixed by investing more resources in voice acting basically like it's it's, yeah. a, it's a super simple thing the other thing i thought was really interesting about it is, is when it, it was sort of announced and released very quickly and when it was announced and released there was a huge amount of um emphasis put on these its similarities with Stranger Things, which is a Netflix, which it plays to quite a lot because there's a lot of logoing, hugely plays to it. So it has a every episode begins with a sort of TV style intro sequence with credits and music, and the music is that kind of um, synthy eighties, um, somewhere between Twin Peaks and um, and any sort of um, synthy eighties music mm. soundtrack. I think it's lovely music, you know, particularly if you like Antonio Badalamenti or like you know any of of that kind of atmospheric abstract sci-fi kind of shtick um and then it has the stories untold logo kind of float in in a way that is eerily similar in in font and presentation to yeah. the stranger things logo yeah. it really plays up to it a lot in a way that i found quite distracting because it is fundamentally unlike stranger things yeah and it's it's it, it, <laughs> i don't know what it doesn't need to, to no. grab onto those coattails and it felt it feels a little bit strange because it feels like um, I don't know where that decision came from. Um, whether that's a, a, it's published by Devolver Digital, who they're usually pretty canny. They're very, think. very canny. Yeah. It feels like it feels like someone got a slightly wrong idea about what this was. Yeah. Because um, as an act, as a piece of sci-fi, um, as a piece of you know um, science fiction, it, it's a lot like sort of things like Day of the Triffids, um, like kind of sort of um, grounded believable british sci-fi yeah. where everyone is a kind of weary sounding middle-aged man you know like um create a mass experiment and, yeah. and uh, that kind of thing where it's it's all about like blokes going oh i don't know how we feel about I feel about this oh, uh, get, get away from the door marjorie marjorie don't look out the window <laughs> marjorie oh as it's also known everyone's gone to the rapture um, <laughs> um, it's, it's very much in that genre of, of actually not eighties at all, but seventies, sixties and seventies. Yeah. That's really fiction. where it's looking. I mean, um, it's, it's set in the eighties probably, but yeah, it's looking. Yeah. It, it, but it feels much yeah. more, um, there's very little that it does that wouldn't be more comfortable in the sixties and seventies. Maybe this sounds like splitting a hair, but there is actually, given that you're only in that world for, for, for yeah. two hours, yeah. I think it, it's weird. It feels like someone's bolted on the wrong title sequence yeah. to a different TV show. I, I find it very distracting as well. I, yeah, and, and it feels like it doesn't have. It's like suddenly you 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 go into it thinking, oh, you don't have as much confidence in this as you. It feels like you should have. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It almost feels like the marketing has invaded the game a little bit yeah. because you know Stranger Things ripped uh, ripped um, rift on um, Stephen King and ET and. Yeah, it's just a total kind of. It's. A, I, I really like. Of... Um, I really like Stranger Things, but it's. It is a. It's a particular mashup of very eighties influences. So, um, you know, it's about a gang of D and D playing kids confronted with a kind of cosmic extra dimensional threat in a small town, and it plays off those things really nicely. But it, you know, it touches on there. There's a lot of Stephen King in it. Just a lot of Stephen King in it, and and then beyond that, yeah, like. Um, goonies and kind of 
And that's that the curious thing. Like, you know, I, I did end up enjoying Stranger Things a lot, but it was kind of in spite of the sheer amount of kind of, kind of referencing and, you know, I just have an idea of your own or just present ideas with conviction. You know, that's what I really wanted it to do. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was fine. You know, yeah, it was, but, but, but then, but it does feel like that, that, um, uh, a straight, uh, uh, stories untold is a kind of rip of a rip. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a, such a strange thing for it to have done because it really is nothing like Stranger Things. Yeah. Like uh, in terms of who the characters are, what kind of story it yeah. tells, what its themes are, what kind of science fiction it is, um, its atmosphere, because yeah. it's very oppressive. That's how it creates yeah, a sense yeah, yeah. of horror when all you're doing is entering, you know, commands into a series of screens. Um, it is far more in that aforementioned kind of, um, kind of paranoid cold warrior or British, specifically British sci-fi, I think. Like yeah. there's, um, you know, if, if, if Stranger Things is all, um, Stephen King, like I mentioned Lovecraft, Lovecraft's not 100% right, really. Like it's, it's very M. John Harrison would be where I'd put it, I oh, think. Yeah. Um, like, which is, I mean, you know, all about this sort of, these sort of, um, moments of like, sort of terrible transcendental strangeness occurring in a lot often mundane British environments. That's a, a very, very loose description of a lot of his science fiction, but it's very much in that particular realm. And uh, maybe it's not a point worth dwelling upon too much, but it, it seemed like such a strange decision. Also partly because I, I think some of the things that were said about the game dwelled on that seemingly because the game itself dwelled on that despite the fact that there's no real tangible connection between those two things. Yeah. Like it really does have the wrong title sequence bolted to it. And, you know, and actually, you know, the, the, I haven't finished it, uh, but the pleasure I've had is, is the fact that it's about going through ring binders, looking for information and, you know, and typing on keyboards. It's like a, it's about physicality mm. and kind of place and kind of, it's not really trying to kind of, tell a story really i mean it the story's happening and you know that's driving it but yeah so I mean, what i would say is that it feels like it's without spoiling anything the weaknesses of its final act come because suddenly it starts to decide to tell a story mm. um and these things are enormous like like any tv show ever that has had a a sort of thematically divergent diverse opening act and tries to land it all doesn't always go brilliantly well similarly um a lot of the time it's it's a game of simon says to some extent the text adventure is as, as as loose as it gets in terms of how you move around the environment but it is still ultimately a game of um intuiting through very and in, information that's delivered in a very analog way what's expected of you yeah and that's a really good feeling when you are rooting through ring binders based on something someone's telling you through a radio yeah. and it doesn't feel like you're interacting with menus in a game in the same way. Yeah. It looks like you're trying to intuit actual information from actual documents. And these are really well kind of, you know, the microfiche is, yeah, it's, oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's the best microfiche you'll see in a game this year. All games. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> gaming's best microfiche. I'll, I'll, of I'll, I'll commit to that, Alex. <laughs> but um, when it, there are moments where it becomes, um, a bit fiddly with what it wants you to do. And so the, the, the text adventure, I got stuck a few times because, because I'm used to curiously. And I, I guess it looks like a decision because presumably it's a lot of its audience or the audience they wanted 
probably haven't played that many text adventures, but like the text adventure does not support text adventure language. No. <laughs> so you're typing in, I typed in so much stuff and it didn't work. It has some flexibility, but ultimately there's a thing it wants you to do. Yeah, and then there's like a command. It's like, oh God. And when, and when that, like, so I had, um, maybe, maybe the reasons I ended up a little bit cooler on it than I would have been is because towards the end, um, not only were some of the things that I needed to do thwarted by either being un- having unclear parameters or even just unclear hitboxes for the things I was trying to do that I was doing, doing the right thing, but from the wrong angle, that yeah. kind of thing, which is always a, a, just a bit, uh, a, a polish issue that it doesn't have in its first half. Um, there were also, um, it bugged out for me fully once hmm. and I had to Google something, uh, cause I, I, it just wouldn't work. And someone said they'd encountered the same problem I had to restart. So I had to restart the fourth part. Basically. Yeah. Cause you to, can't save mid mid. Yeah. Mid, so I had to play up to back up yeah. to the point where I'd gotten to. Yeah, so it spoils it a little bit in these chapters. And then immediately after I got through that, if I thought it had bugged again, but it hadn't, I'd just done something slightly wrong, but I ended up having to do like consult. I couldn't find a walkthrough, but I did find a let's play. I, so I, I went to a let's play as well. So to, to, to figure out what exactly, cause I hadn't had to do it previously, but it was just, and I would even done the right thing. It just, I hadn't, pressed all the right switches um i i had my intent was right it was just the yeah, actual pressing of the switches yeah. and it was um it was a let's play by a youtuber who otherwise just does uh it wasn't you know anyone famous it was just somebody who does pewdiepie-esque like five nights at freddy's games and things and watching a shouty a shouty man a 20 something <laughs> shouty man having a shouty time about uh, this quiet, say, this slow quiet burn. meditative slow burn british science fiction um was actually the closest to a true moment of existential horror that <laughs> stories untold was capable of delivering me um having some guy go what a drill um was uh, uh yeah it was it was it was awful um but like so but strangely fitting because like the game is all about <laughs> consulting things kind of in and out of the game yeah true so um so those things i think soured it a little bit and that's just if it was i think i would be maybe kinder on its ending if it had been a, it hadn't also fallen on its ass which is a, is a thing however one thing that did occur to me as i got towards the end of it is i really like this format for delivering this kind of story i have a problem with the fact that so uh and and what the the territory it, it occupies is the same territory as dear esther and everybody's gone to the rapture it's and i'm going to sound like the world's biggest wanker i'm ready it's a walking simulator about sitting <laughs> that's good. good it is totally though it's good it's a lot of its ideas and its tone and where it wants to take your mind on a it's a lot of the same um sort of motifs and kind of character things and, and the sort of personality things that powered those two games i mean everyone's gone to the rapture is a much longer game and has a lot more in it but it's in you know they they all occupy similar territory i think uh starting with dear esther which um created this genre of like a thinky british man has a bit of a time <laughs> <laughs> They should have got you to market it. Market. <laughs> I think they were probably onto something when they just went with, it's a bit like Stranger Things, yeah. <laughs> even though it's not. Um, and actually, I really like this format for it, this sort of series of, of short vignettes. 
Because actually, it turns out the worst thing about walking simulator kind of is the walking. I suspect. Um, I understand attaching voiceover to movement as a form of storytelling. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to commit to this whole thing because there's going to be, a, a, you know, uh, uh, examples everywhere of where it does work. And there are things I really like about both the exploratory element of both Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um, but both of those, well, um, both of those games suffer for, I think you, I think you detach a bit from their environments as things become repetitive. And as your focus shifts to purely being the stuff you're hearing rather than the stuff you're seeing, mm-hmm. particularly in Dear Esther, where it's yeah. a, it gets away with it because it's short. But if it was any longer, I think you would get bored of hillsides and want yeah. the next thing you think. Um, everyone's gone to the rapture, uh, looks amazing, particularly in its beginning. And then it loses some steam visually, I think later on, like it's village area at the start of yeah. everyone's gone to the rapture is phenomenal yeah. and nothing subsequent. It's a much longer game after that point, And it's a lot more monotonous and, the environments are less feel as real after that but even so um it has to dance around the fact that in a game world that photo realistic uh which um stories untold also is in its own way you can't show people you can't um and you can't offer too much real interaction with the environment um which i think is one of um, everyone's gone to the rapture's weaknesses is that the places look real, but they feel wrong because you can't do anything. You yeah. can't knock over a cup or really yeah. touch them, you know, like, and there's nobody there. You're just sort of hearing these echoes. Uh, stories untold because it controls your perspective much more tightly. And it's all about these small interactions with fucking great looking microfiches. Um, it solves that problem. Yeah. Yeah. You do feel you're doing stuff all the time. Yeah. Like you're sat at a real desk touching you know, using your mouse cursor and keyboard, but you're still, you know, you're, you're, there's, there's a physical object on the table and it, it gets all of its best moments out of the physicality of the stuff around you that feel much realer. And it's, it's much, um, cleverer with how it implies the presence of other people in the environment around you in a way that never needs to show you a human face that will take you out of the experience, uh, by obviously being a, a CG person. But, um, but also nor does it, um, like, sort of prevent you from really sort of feeling the the physicality of those sort of key devices in each. So I'm going to expand on that Go for and it. suggest uh, that walking simulators are expressions, uh, 3D kind of first-person expressions of text adventures or many aspects of text adventures, the mm. puzzle-less aspects of the text adventures, which, you know when you take when you have a text adventure which isn't about puzzles um they're often about describing places and about describing the links between places and being in places and traveling through them because they're all about description you can't help but be you know enveloped in a world in a way that you not aren't actually always in a first person shooter because usually in a first person shooter you're not really thinking about where you are you're shooting stuff you know mm. that's not what your kind of primary kind of you know um you might wonder about if a wizard came from the moon, say, that might be significant. Which is why another part of the genius of uh, Destiny, it's mm. all things. Indeed, it's all games. It's a walking simulator. It's a meaningful encounter with moon aliens. I do a lot of walking in that, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and then also, the, uh, but, uh, uh, Stories Untold is um, takes another aspect of te- text adventures, which is the fiddling with stuff, which is modelled, you know, Mm. pick up the lever and use it on the thing. And because 
you're reading text descriptions of things they are photorealistic you know in your you know they are they exist in your mind as objects in a way that, that which isn't as abstracted as they are when in most kind of games where you're manipulating objects you know um that's not very well clearly explained but it probably makes sense um uh and it's kind of i, I think that they it, i think that there is a really strong link between those two concepts like with, mm. with the the walking simulator and and um and i keep call, trying to call it um strange things but stories untold yeah i think i, I certainly think there is i think um particularly because i think there are now there are now a series of games that deal with extremely similar tones and themes um through those three that um i mean possibly that's now becoming a weakness of that genre that we have this the technology and the interest in creating these sort of immersive experiences of um dear Esther isn't science fiction but it has mystical or metaphysical yeah. elements um but actually i i worry a bit that this effort is being invested in stories that are actually quite samey to some extent uh, i have to be super careful about what i say but um i'd be i think one of the reasons that's one of the reasons gone home is so successful and also firewatch actually is because the stories they tell are, are quite substantially different hmm. to this particular corner of of that what is now becoming a, a genre hmm. right it feels like we're getting a uh, i remember what dearest was one of the first reviews i wrote for pc gamer and back when there was no real understanding this was going to be a thing and the thing it really made me think of at the time was it felt like going to see like a one-man show at the end of a fringe and there weren't nothing was perfect about it but you were really struck by the format yeah you know what I mean? Like, because it's a monologue ultimately. The arrest there is a, yeah. could be delivered in the spotlight on a stage, and you get most of it. It's just that it's delivered to you through your headphones as you pretend to wander the like, Hebridean cliffside, right? Um, and, and this is going. This is a total. I'm going to sound the world's biggest wanker again. But there was there was a thing where you know doing the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years in a row, certain tones would like take over for a while. So someone would do like brilliant Kafka. And so you you kind of almost sometimes guarantee that there would be a kind of surge in interest in exploring different ways of putting Kafka on stage for a bit. And then it would be replaced by something else and it would die down. And it feels like the last couple of years there's sort of been a surge in interest in that era of British sci-fi that we keep talking about, like 60s and 70s, detailed domestic science fiction horror um, and that has broader sort of analog allegorical significance or something like that. And I'm kind of, I think I'm, even despite how much I love that stuff, I feel like maybe it's a bit weird that it's become this mm. repetitive. I or don't know. Kind of like the, the, the only thing that you're going to express or like the preferred. Yeah. I mean, inevitably there'll be examples of stuff that don't do that, I imagine. But yeah, again, hard to say both without saying, basically without saying too much about stories untold. But like, I feel like, I'm ready for this kind of technology and this sort of storytelling technique to be applied in, in very different ways. And actually probably the best example of that, and I'm going to prove myself wrong, but because it has been done is her story, which I think would, I would also put in this mm, territory. Yeah. Um, stories untold fits into this sort of little cosmology of like thinker games. What about lives people have had? 
um her story i think is is the best of them still because one it has that tactile inter- interaction with the machine aspect of it which which is shared with yeah, stories untold which is yes absolutely but also i think it tells the most substantially original story and tells it better than the others and mm-hmm. i think that's ultimately the thing that matters and and maybe to link this whole thing back together back to the voice acting thing and and that sort of sense that these games are like performances or almost quite stagey in some Mm -hmm. ways the thing that makes her story brilliant is the fact that it has such a strong central performance in it like we've you know there's lots of talk about acting in games and that can take different forms in different games and is appropriate in different ways to different games but her story is fundamentally a really good bit of acting to camera which is a completely different discipline from a completely different medium Mm um but if it if any about anything about it wasn't from the script to the performance wasn't spot on the entire thing wouldn't work and i think stories and told good as it is and as amazing as the technical execution of its environments and its 3d art and its interfaces are doesn't quite stick either the script or the performance aspect and i think that's a shame but i mean that is ultimately nitpicking and what's a kind of amazing experiment yeah, I, mean, if, I mean it feels a little maybe a bit proof of con- proof of con- concept i think i think part of the reason why a lot of this stuff shares the same sort of stuff is that it's you know people's first commercial stab at a game and you know mm. you tend to make the game that kind of well, you make the safe game but you also you make you know the one that you know you can finish and also the one that's gonna you know has personal interest that you know we're all you know similar types of yeah people absolutely i think i think at the end of the day it just doesn't quite cohere mm. um like um you know the house abandoned which was yeah that original first free part of it is brilliant some parts of the rest of it feel a bit too explicitly like an attempt to build that out into, yeah. into a longer experience and then that stranger things thing which has been so kind of so much freight put around the game i think it's just a bad fit and it, it creates a sense of a experience that doesn't quite know which way it wants to go which i don't think is fair because it's still got such strong artistic direction in other other regards but maybe the thing that maybe the thing this genre is kind of learning is that you need to have a very clear vision in order for it all to click into place and her story is probably the best example of one of a game like this that has such a clear sense of what is single-minded yeah and Mm. it's and every single aspect of it fits and works but i'm still despite all of that like i wouldn't be this interested in it if it wasn't what's the noise you'd make god damn it this is a hard one this is a hard one um you can do one for each of the episodes if you like all right (laughs) episode one Uh episode two Uh. (laughs) episode three Uh. that's the micro i could hear the microfiche appreciation in that one yeah there's a little tremor of microfiche appreciation but a slight sense of where's this going and then episode four is like ah (laughs) that sounds good and the whole experience is (laughs) <laughs> i think i'm not sure if i quite landed that but that would only be so formally fitting in some broader twatty way 
So good job, me. Um, thank you for indulging me in that, Alex. I, this More is just not, just not, not the way I thought I'd spend my Wednesday night <laughs> alone in a room with you. To You're be honest. glowing. You're glowing now. Oh, yeah, cigarette. <laughs> Shall we um, diffuse this spicy situation by inviting the audience in? Hmm. Is that your review of that sentence? <laughs> Welcome in. Welcome in, questions from questions. We didn't see you come in, but here you all are. This is a weird roleplay bit. I don't understand why I've decided to do. Alex, your phone? Fuck. Put a towel over yourself. <laughs> is that a, is that like a cool phrase the kids are saying? Probably. Put a towel over yourself, man. <laughs> it's time for questions from the internet. It's probably not. That was the first question. And the answer is mm. no. Mm. Our first real question comes from... Uh, Darcy, who writes, Corvo can run around hugging weepers into unconsciousness. Do any games treat disease in a more interesting manner? And yes, you're typically chugging elixirs like a madman, but it still seemed mildly discordant. You know, I always thought that Corvo was immune to the plague on beho- on account of the outsider's mark. Yeah, but that it's still mine. a bit gross. He gets it gross, is gross to it? hug a weeper. That's just mm. a thing. Um, hmm. Do you think they're crusty or kind of gloopy? I always assumed clammy. Mm. And it's weeping, right? It's true, yeah. You know, I thought it was like more of emotional weeping rather than skin weeping. Maybe I thought it was both. like weeping sores. Hmm. I mean, it could be both. <laughs> it could be extremely upset. One would weep if yeah. one had weeping sores. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> feels like that little gif of the little girl saying, why not both? And everyone's like, way apart from everyone's dying. <laughs> um, so... The thing that comes up every time people talk about disease in games is that one thing, the was it the cursed blood incident in World mm. of Warcraft where a disease got out of a raid dungeon via someone's hunter pet and then killed everybody in Ironforge. It's a really famous incident. There are, I think it was the cursed blood. Moment. Did it happen Fatal just blood. one time? Yeah, but one, it, it, one server, but it's yeah. one of those stories that gets... Yeah. There, there are two things that get rolled out every time there's a story about how MMOs can be used to model elements of the real world and one is always eve's economy as a kind of um a as a kind of um free market in a closed ecosystem where you can study how things affect stuff and the other is that particular instance because it followed the patterns of a real outbreak yeah which is interesting um but there are are a billion stories about that online already the i suppose in terms of games that do actual disease disease Plague Inc., but then that's very kind of... It's very abstract, out. Very right? abstract, yeah. Uh, I was hmm. trying to think. I They should do. Should do. I mean, there are all those kind of attacks you get in WoW and other things where you're just sort of throwing disease at people. Yeah, I mean, there are raid mechanics in WoW and in Destiny, actually, that are about trying yeah. to avoid letting a contagion spread around the group of players. But that's a very abstract, again, sense of what a disease is, where it's mm. almost like a, a bad buff that you... It's like of- being it... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Playing tag. Um, like cooties, basically. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I can think of a game that either does a presentation of illness in a way that makes you want to not get ill in the game, really. Well, yeah, contact, exposed, exposure and contact with kind of infected things. Mm. With zombie stuff. Zombie I stuff. guess, but that. But you don't ever contract zombieism. In no. Games, do you? I don't know if there was ever an, I wonder if there are any survival games that have that. That would be an interesting mechanic if you could get sick and potentially pass it off onto other players. 
So there was that there was that um, browser game, zombie game. Oh, I'm not going to remember what it was called. This is years and years old. It was like an like, HTML game. I know what I mean. Yes, yeah, and yeah. You would, you would, if you were killed, you would become a zombie, and that would affect the, what your abilities were and what your aims were. All of a sudden. Mm. But no, in terms this of is room for ex- expansion, I it think. is room for expansion. There's yeah. something in there. I think it would always certainly have to be a multiplayer context because I can only imagine in a single player context giving the player the ability to just get sick and <laughs> slowly, have <a> worse time. <laughs> slowly lose the ability to Need move, to have a sleep for a few days. <laughs> I suppose, actually, I suppose vampirism in Oblivion specifically was quite an interesting example of getting sick. Ooh, ooh, fuck yes, I like, too. Fuck I too. Ma- malaria. You've got malaria. Yeah, that's that's legit, I suppose. Yeah, you got yeah. to get the do the drug. stuff, get, do the get have the drug to make yeah. yourself feel better. It's very gamey though. Yeah, and it was kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, the reason I mentioned the Oblivion thing is because that is something you could legitimately contract from. Yeah, even though it was a, true. even though there was a structured game experience around becoming a vampire, you could get that virus that would lead to you becoming a vampire from any other vampire yeah so it felt very organic and um, it's sometimes annoying like people yeah. often shit and then there was quite a convoluted sort of um uh, if you let you it develop to, yeah getting okay rid- oh so you could you could uh, the, cure it the, quite basically easily. if you did the cure straight away it was straightforward and if you waited then like you'd have to go through several nights of waking up to a text box saying you're feeling quite vampire this morning are you sure you don't want some milk classic um classic been writing. yeah <laughs> um but um if you let it happen then it Changed the way you played the game substantially. Um, which, you know, in my playthrough of Oblivion, it happened to me at a cool moment and felt like an interesting character development. So I let it happen because it was cool. So that I think maybe, maybe counts because yeah. it's an, it's a unscripted, um, moment that meaningfully changes the way you play, which is what a disease would need to do. I think maybe that's the way you have to do it in a game though. The disease has to make you kind of badass, but in a bad way. And not a weepy way. Yeah. <laughs> not not a little weeping. <laughs> Corvo just needs a big cry for a whole mission. You can't go to Lady Boyle's party. You're poorly. <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> Alex writes, Favourite soundtracks in games. I personally love Hyper Light Drifters for the crunchy texture it adds to the world. Crunchy. Mm. That's a whole different review scale. It's like, what does this taste like? Mm. What does this feel like in your mouth? Cadbury's crunchy. Wow. This is like a kind of, like a slightly soft in the middle macaroon. <laughs> what game am I describing? I don't fucking know. <laughs> so Disasterpiece uh, also did the Fez soundtrack. Um, mm. uh, instead, Disasterpiece also did Hyperlight Drifters soundtrack. He's really good. He's really Worked good. Worked with him. Did a, I was working on a game called um, Beta Balance and he did the soundtrack for oh, that. Oh, cool. He's a lovely, lovely man. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think games that I particularly love the soundtracks of. Get a lot out of DMC. I know I bang on about that game a lot, but I do love that soundtrack. It's ace. Um, so, uh, a good compilation one would be um, Hotline Miami. Yeah. Um, and the, what, the, that was a nice one. Like So Jasper Byrne mm. who did the game. Ooh... Uh, set in a kind of it was very pixelated 
and you um, are in a sort of post-apocalyptic kind of a city with these. I believe you're describing shapes. a video game there. Yeah, he yeah. <laughs> did this game, and I can't remember what it's. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, oh, Lone Survivor, mm. and he did a, a, games, including that one as well. And he's also really good at music, and he does stuff on the Hotline Miami um, soundtrack. Yeah, um, in fact, the Hotline Miami Two soundtrack was one of the things that. Almost, I mean, I didn't like that game, but redeemed the game. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's partly partly because it uses Carpenter Brute at the exact right yeah. moment. Um, yeah, I, I suppose Hotline Miami is definitely a compilation of music that's still excellent, regardless of its yeah. Well, it's just it's, yeah, yeah. I often, I my my hard drive is only filling up with OSTs of games, mm. which I'm you know I won't listen to because. I don't know. I don't know. Is it? I often listen to game soundtracks while I'm writing about that game, if I can find mm. it. I find that helpful. It's going to put you in the mood. I don't listen to music, uh, film kind of OSTs either very often. No. Because I don't know. There's so much kind of music music out there. Not can music you, designed for being in the background of things. Can you write if you're listening to music that has lyrics? Yes. I yes, can't. I can. Yeah. That's why I, th- I think uh, technically, I think I write better or I work better um, when I'm actually listening to uh, orchestral, you know, um, non-lyricy music. Yeah, music what not have the sing the singing yeah. of the words the in it. Wordy words. Yeah, um, but I think I deny that to myself and put anything I like on, and then just don't do any work. And right, that's feel, a great idea. Feel yeah. bad about it myself. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can do the the editing things while listening to. Talky music, singing music. Something Marshall always surprised me was was his ability. He he works listening to podcasts while yeah. he's um, while he's drawing. Yeah, Pip can do the same thing. Mm. What well, when she's when she's drawing or when uh, she's working is the thing. Like she's got a My good multitasking God. brain. How the hell? Well, I suppose actually. And then I remember um, a lot of people watch Netflix while they're working. Yeah. I can't do that. I've got, I, I downgraded from two monitors to one because yeah. I literally can't use the other one because my brain can only do one thing at a time. Uh, that's a miles from soundtracks, but, uh, yeah. But nonetheless, actually, for that reason, game soundtracks are quite a good, yeah, good thing because they fit in that. designed to be, uh, yeah, yeah, part of something else. Do you know what's got lovely music? Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely lovely. What a great game. We we should we should try do and an find extra, some time to do a pod extra on that game because holy shit, mm. it's kind of one of the strange things about talking about all the rest of this year's games where it's kind of like, yep, the best game of this year just came out, and it's kind of hard to get around that because that thing is phenomenal. Mm. It's real good. I don't have enough time to play it. No, neither do I. I feel like I'm still just dipping my toes into it, as it's the secret best immersive sim this year, <laughs> according to <laughs> some idiot. Um, but yes, no. I think we like the games with the punchy electric music. Sounds like it, but I yeah. don't think that's... Well, I can't think of them. Ambient stuff tends to be... I tend not to notice. That's the point. <laughs> Thomas writes, Walloping howdy, CNC. Question. What can games do to make conversations with NPCs feel more natural, either via writing or UI? Interesting question. Very really interesting is. question. It's there's a lot, a lot going on. Um, I've been starting to play Oxen Free. I mentioned earlier on, and um, I like its approach to being able to kind of interrupt, play a 
more of an active role in the conversation mm. despite it being still very much but based on being choices and i think that's a that's a nice ui and kind of dialogue writing uh kind of exercise i think that's um i'd like to see that explored more i think that it's um i mean i've only kind of played maybe an hour or so so far i'm really close it sort of started with it but um Sometimes like the the option disappears before I've kind of been able, had a chance to read it. So they're like teething problems with it, but I think that's really nice. Mm. I think um, so. I think games the traditional problem the games have with conversations is they've established a vocabulary for like not literally, but like a a structure for presenting conversations that is artificial at its root, and you kind of accept it now. And it features in games I love like Mass Effect and Dragon Age and so on. But this notion that a conversation happens when one person walks over to somebody else and just sort of wordlessly initiates a pretty substantial two-person exchange of ideas um, literally doesn't happen in real life. Conversations always take place and have a heavy context and, you know, uh, little social cues that don't um, quite they have to work in a particular way. Like, it's, it's, you know, a group of humans socializing is one of the most complicated <laughs> yeah. sort of dances of, of invisible signs and different levels of comfort and desires and, and that kind of thing. Whereas the notion of a video game protagonist walking over and pressing use on somebody in order to initiate contact, like real life has no use button, right? Like it doesn't No, that would explain some things. It would. Yeah. If, if I like, um, if I walk over to you and just look at you, you're not going to turn around and out of your canned animation and go, hello, what can I do for you? And then I'll say, Alex, I'd like to know, um, could you tell me something about like the history and culture of your people, please? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be, I'm a human being from earth. And what we find generally is we live fast we die young and that defines our outlook and i'd be like thanks i have no more questions <laughs> having realized disappointingly that you have nothing new to tell me because you told me exactly this and i accidentally ask you again when i meant to select something else and you keep just like interrupting me yeah let's so go on to the next sentence <laughs> and cancel out of it but you willingly just get into the next the next sentence and then i finish talking to you and you say okay well i'm here if you need me and then you turn around and just start waving your hands in front of the table you were standing next to like nothing about that from its, its concept to its execution what it is it's, it's a little bit similar to talking to me <laughs> yeah, might be why you haven't noticed but like um, um the it's a perfectly good way of delivering a story. You can totally deliver a story that means something to people in that way and even create relationships people feel are meaningful. But structurally, it is highly abstract. I do, I do find, um, I know that there are many people who relish this, but, um, in an RPG, uh, you get to the town and then I feel myself gritting my teeth for the next half hour, 40 minutes of going to everybody and talking to them and not, you know, and it's, yeah. it, I think the abstractness starts with the fact that I don't know what I'm even going to talk to them about until I press the button yeah. and then I start talking to them. And like, 
it's it's amazing to me that like I've lived in Bath now for five and a half years. And you haven't and talked I have to this, a blacksmith once. I haven't talked to everybody in this town, which means I'm missing something. Like there is some key content that I haven't accessed because I haven't finished talking to every single person here. Because what is someone else if not a limited content node? So the um uh Kentucky Route Zero, I think, does arty dialogue incredibly nicely mm. i think that um it um is about suggestion and by bringing the giving choices kind of expands on what the character is and what they're thinking mm. even if you don't choose those options and how it's all suggestion and subtext and kind of swirly stuff that doesn't even need to be defined and um and it, it actually despite being an art game really um it's done the most naturalistic things with kind of dialogue that i've played mm. i think um and i i would really like to see that kind of expressed we were talking earlier on about night in the woods and it's it's dialogue and i think that that manages to do you know in a much breezier kind of lighter way some of the stuff that um kentucky does i think yeah i think I think the key is often having a smaller number of characters and having the characters yeah. doing something while they talk. Like, um, which, which game is it? Um, it wasn't 100% successful. It was a game about driving through Italy and having a conversation with the person in the passenger seat. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what you mean. I've completely forgotten. I've completely mm. banked on what it's called. There's something, a mouthy coat? No. No. Um, I'm not going to guess because I'm just going to be guessing things that sound a bit like it. Um, but again, that's, that allows the conversation to feel more natural because two people in the car do fall into talking to one another. Yeah. And that's the way I think the game that actually, it might be worth mentioning The Sims. Because mm -hmm. even though there's no writing in The Sims in the traditional sense, it is Sims 4 specifically gets quite, gets a lot further, closer than most games to simulating how conversations occur in environments and how they spread to include people and things break off from them. Cause it has an AI system designed to do exactly that. It, you know, characters in an, in an environment, they did a good job of detaching conversations from activities. So if a character is sitting down to eat, they can sit down to eat and talk to someone who's on the computer nearby. Um, and they'll eat slower as a consequence. And that system works very nicely, even though they're just babbling at each other. Um, and your role as a player can be to force them to try and get a joke in or force them to kind of insert some particular tone into the conversation. But that happens as part as, as part of a queue that is also partly driven by the AI mm. and by the AI of the other characters in the environment. And that's I think that's interesting. Like that I think it does feel like saying having a joke not land and have everyone else feel awkward about it, and then if they get all everyone else gets the embarrassed moodlet and things can be <laughs> awkward, like that kind of thing. That system, but with authored writing. It's probably impossible, really. But I think it shows, it helps flesh out the nature of the problem when you see, well, with a sufficiently sophisticated AI system that only has to make the, the nonsense sound context appropriate, you can do it. Yeah. But trying to do that alongside traditional storytelling is extremely hard. But at least they solved the problem of pressing use on people and rinsing out their fixed dialogue yeah. tree con con context heavy as well yeah, yeah. entirely context yeah. and also kind of um mostly natural feeling mm. like characters will find a space in a room to talk and form a conversation and then other characters will join in and leave and that's 
how that works, right? Yeah. Interesting, though. It, I, there was a question on a previous episode about AI-driven conversation engines, and I think that's probably the future. Yeah. And it means the end of writing. Hooray! Hey! <laughs> Finally, we may die. Um, Steve writes, Have you ever had a game that you just didn't get so much that you failed to beat the tutorial? Both Homeworld 2 and Supreme Commander were abandoned after several attempts back in the day, despite being not bad at the genre. I think I had a similar exa- uh, thing with uh, Homeworld. I I love that game. Uh, yeah, I wanted to, and I I would do if I'd given it more time. But um, I did the tutorial, finished the tutorial, tutorial, and went into the main game and got crushed because I'd forgotten all the things the tutorial told me. And there were a lot of things the tutorial told me. Mm. I think it's always it's always strategy with these things, isn't it? I can't really think of another game where the tutorial could throw you so badly that you don't stick with it. Well, we were talking about this earlier. You mentioned yeah. Crusader Kings, and yeah, I think yeah. it's always been Paradox Grand Strategy for me. I love reading about those games, but I'm never going to make it. I cracked. I did crack uh, Crusader Kings, but it did take me two goes, th- probably three goes. I think I got it on my third. Mm. And then it took. Then, but then I remember looking back and thinking, "What was I so confused about?" But then, I think the best thing the tutorial can do with Crusader Kings is to tell you where you should be looking or what are the yeah. what are the important things to think about at this point you know manage this what terror are the general options yeah. yeah like it's not you know you if you know what you're meant to be doing in a game like that you can figure out or you know you can fiddle around with the ui enough to figure mm. out what you're doing it's just that you know if you don't know what if you haven't followed the tutorial properly and doesn't click you end up being on the map screen and going I literally don't know how what I'm meant to be doing, and it's probably usually trying to find a wife. <laughs> That's pretty much what you should be doing. Um, I think another game that fits this category for me is Dwarf Fortress, which again I've bounced mm. off the tutorial for a couple of times. There's a tutorial. The, well, there's a <laughs> there's like a manual or a process yeah. or a initiation right or something. Uh, I, I'm happy to let smarter people than me play Dwarf Fortress and tell and me then what just it's read like about it. Yeah. yeah. There's Shenzhen IO. Have you played that? No. So um this is a game by uh Zach um oh, Zachtronics. Yes, um as in Zach Bart. Zach Bart, yeah. As in um every other game is playable by humans, Zach Bart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this game, uh you are a maker of electronic doodads in Shenzhen, okay? And uh, the screen is uh, an inter- is your is an operating system. It has a little mail program on it, and I think then there's like a solitaire game. There's a full solitaire game inside it, which is his own design. And it's really good, which I haven't played, but it's apparently it's really good. Um, I haven't played it because I, I'm not going to better play this game because you're going to be designing things like uh, burger alarms and like doodads, electronic things, and you are putting electronic components into systems. You are programming these electronic uh, components and dealing with voltages, uh, dealing with... It's really complicated, Christopher. I know. And there is a manual that it tells you you've got to print out. I have printed out this manual. It's 40 pages long. I have printed out. It is next to my desk. It's I have a a small pile of paper because I shove stuff in the bin when it gets too high. This is on my desk next to me, ready for me to kind of go through. it has uh, parts in in this in the manual. It says advises where you can put ring binding sections. 
great. For different those who are going through. It's beautifully presented. Like it's so it's beautifully done. Like the whole thing is just wonderfully like it's the most for like I I've got a thing for operating systems. I I love his games. I I, I didn't mean to sound dismissive when oh, I said Oh no 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 no. I, I but know. like I know the feeling it's like you know um Infinifactory is so yeah. good and really enjoyable and had a great time playing through it. But so it feels like uh, and I have programmer friends who love his headier games as well. <laughs> But I think liking his games is a bit like having being friends with somebody who has like their own set of friends that they obviously like more than you. Because like between every game, he makes a game for the programmers in the room and they all have this like special joke that they all get. And I sit there feeling like a fucking idiot because I like the game with the colorful blocks. Can you do one with colorful conveyor belts for me? <laughs> and they're like having a big old bant about, I don't know, fucking, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. They're probably talking about uh, uh, so TIS one hundred. I think it is like that's a yeah. That was that's the a one. game about um, programming on a, a CPU, which means you're doing actual commands that program like CPUs deal with. <laughs> it's assembly programming. It was quite like, I'm, but they're mind expanding. Yeah, they are definitely mind mind yeah, expanding. It's, it's cool, but yes. One of the first games I ever reviewed for you for Edge magazine many, 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 many years ago oh, was Space Camp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was really frightened of Space Camp. I was frightened time. of Space Camp. But I was like, <laughs> let's, give it to the, let's give it to the guy on PC Gamer. He probably knows. <laughs> Internal we'll play. We'll play Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Edge sounds like. <laughs> they don't really hate me for saying that. I mean, it's, it would hate me for saying that. Sorry, it. Um, that <laughs> um, Jeff writes has your interest in Blood Bowl which we share because we're in the Blood Bowl League Blood Bowl League Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl League turned into an interest in American football <laughs> no uh, I mean I barely understand Blood Bowl I'm bad at Blood Bowl as it is does is do you do you sit down in a nice comfy chair with a nice screen and mouse and keyboard when you do this american football uh, i don't believe so is it something to do with going outside and being I close don't to grass believe it involves <laughs> colorful orcs what's the point don't know alex um i mean i'm sure it's good if you're into that kind of thing uh <laughs> no but to be in in all seriousness blood bowl has just made me why would you want to do anything else <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's made me mostly interested in blood bowl it's, it's succeeded in making me quite a bit interested in blood bowl but not a lot <laughs> so getting any further than that was always going to be a bit of a stretch <laughs> um so has that ever happened with something else but kind of unclear has anything else made me interested in american football um <laughs> uh did i did come around to the idea of fundamentally turn-based sports while i was in america once because i didn't really get that for a long time you know the, the, huh? the games kind of like baseball and there, 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 oh, right. there are plays right there are kind of like periods of time <laughs> can i just point out that you just described baseball presumably then cricket and stuff as well as turn-based games yes <laughs> they are and between turns you can ha ha buy more food <laughs> i i didn't get it until i went to a baseball game in seattle and it was just it was a a picnic 
with 10,000 people <laughs> you see, all looking think, at the same thing. Do you think that thing. the game design is all about monetization of food? I don't want to go there, Alex, <laughs> because if I've learned anything, it's don't throw out a hot take two hours into a podcast <laughs> about something you know very little about that lots of people care about. But what I will say is yes. <laughs> I think the structure of those sports is fundamentally designed because it provides for more snack breaks, whereas like a 45 minutes on intense action, 15 minutes off, 45 minutes of intense action is probably quite an inefficient way yeah. to sell Cornettos. So for, for like cricket works because like nothing really happens. So you yes. just always just cure the bar. I mean, you know... Uh, <laughs> Tennis works because it's sort of shorter yeah. rounds as well. You yeah. can get you can get drunk, but in a posh shorter way. Shorter turns. Yeah. <laughs> you can get Wimbledon drunk. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I had a brilliant time. I mean, I say this as somebody who almost has like the almost has a, a blind spot for traditional sport to a degree that it might be medically classifiable. <laughs> like they recently, someone was sharing a picture of um, some scientists have created a paint that is so black. It reflect, it repels almost all levels of light known to man. And there's a picture of a man holding what appears to be a slightly pixelated disc shape that someone's crudely drawn onto the picture, but it's actually a sphere that is so dark. It confuses the human eye with your inability to perceive anything about it it's an absence of information in the middle of your mind I, i'm enjoying it's like his his internal kind of pain with the fact that he can't show anybody it <laughs> the unseeable <laughs> the unseeable void sphere but that's what i see when i look at traditional sport <laughs> absence of things <laughs> but now you just but, chaos well but now chaos and with baseball now you you I'm notice now, snacks like all I needed was someone to explain to me how difficult the thing that was currently happening was <laughs> while I, I, and then for someone else to say anyone for more beer, I had a great time. I had a great time. I should, this should. Why are all the chairs pointed this way? Yeah, hey. <laughs> There's nothing there. <laughs> Those people are all playing a game, I guess. Um, yeah. So that, I'm not the person to ask if a game could transfer enthusiasm into a real because i just don't get it <laughs> and nor i <laughs> i like electric sports they like sports but not at all <laughs> uh a person on the internet writes good day cold and cough bar how do you think different bioware companions would deal with the common cold or flu would they stoically soldier on or milk it for all it's worth i get the feeling that Carth and caden would definitely milk it Thanks for reading. Thanks for all the pods. Cheers, a person on the internet. Um, so he's right about Caden Alenko from Mass Effect 1 because his defining personality trait is that he gets headaches. <laughs> it's rich. <laughs> it's a rich vein. I don't know how much of a, a Bioware companionsman you are, Alex. I'm not really. Mm. I find it a bit boring. But um, I did play 2 and 3. How dare you? Let's fight outside. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Get off this chair. <laughs> We're already naked. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember the ill lizard man from three. He was like a hitman lizard. Two drell. Oh, uh, two. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was ill. He he was poorly. He was. <laughs> he got even <laughs> poorlier in three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think he would soldier on though, because that's kind of his whole story. I is, suppose he, he, is. he doesn't. He's not a whiner, is he? He's not. He um. He's in the process of soldiering on pretty substantially, um, into the mouth of hell. I believe Tennyson wrote that. Um, <laughs> um, trying to think who else, Bioware companion wise. 
Um, it's probably like most given the context of those stories, I think you got a lot of people who are like the soldier on. It's more interesting to try and identify the characters in those games that, that wouldn't. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, Tally from Mass Effect famously wouldn't because if she gets any kind of contaminant inside her suit, she dies. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yes, that's So if she true. gets a cold, she dies. Yeah. That's, you know, that is the ultimate note from, she doesn't have to do sports day. She must, they, do they wear their suits when they're at home? They have no home aboard the migrant fleet. <laughs> good. <laughs> I just fucking lord you. You did. That was good. That's beautiful. <laughs> but I mean, one day, hopefully, if, if the conditions were right and with sufficient help, their homeworld of Rannoch could be made habitable. <laughs> For the for the Quarians once again, don't laugh. I vaguely remember all this. People bit. people had a good cry when this came up. I was annoyed with them because they killed all the nice robots. The nice robots. I just spent fucking ages making the ro- bad robots into nice robots, and then the fucking aliens shot them all. This was the nature of the decision you found yourself at the center of, was it not? Yeah, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have selected all the right blue options and been nice to everybody if you want. Damn it. To go Damn it. I didn't way. want to talk to everybody as discussed earlier on. Indeed. <laughs> um, I think um, I think almost everybody else in Mass Effect would probably soldier on. They're a soldiering on type of people, really. I like to think that the the tattooed uh, Jack d- uh, delinquent, <laughs> tattooed delinquent. All right, Dad, you, you've avoided it most of this episode, but there you go. <laughs> I reckon she would be a winger because she's all like, "Ooh, I'm hard. I'm tough and hard, and I'll punch you." And then, "Ooh, sniffle." About that. You reckon? Yep. Okay. But you, she wouldn't try and pass it off as like a kind of cool hangover or something. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I suppose like if she gets a nosebleed or something, then if you are, you know, prodigiously gifted with biotic psychic powers, then a single nosebleed has been given a little bit of mm. kind of like carry style cred. Yeah, she'd, she'd play on that. Yeah, you see, you can play that up. You're like, I don't, I don't have a cold. I'm actually Ooh, just... I, I think I might actually blow up everybody on the ship. Yeah, because... I think... Because of my brain. I'm having a little brain moment because I'm so powerful. So, yes, yeah, so you probably admit maybe a wonky definition of soldiering on. Um, <laughs> let me think. Uh, it's a character in Mass Effect Andromeda who I think would probably soldier on, but in the milking it way. In the sort of like, no, I'm fine. But where you, <laughs> he really wants to be told to go to bed. Like, can't actually let himself recover until someone else has yeah, indulged a, indulged it oh, you really yeah should. that's jarl when people get around to that part of the game i think i think he's in that he's in that band what, what make of creature is he uh new newt newt no he's he's one of the new aliens oh nice mm. sort of lizardy catman emotional lizardy catman he's fabulous i really like him i quite like the idea of emotional lizards mm. with furriness Mm, nice. Not furry, just sort of feline. Okay, like a skit, like a hairless cat lizard. <laughs> this is not the kind of conversation you can have while sharing a chair. Um, John writes, <clears throat> "Greetings, cakes and cameras. Some thoughts from your last show. I remember a very old, circa nineteen ninety-five Robin Hood game that I very much enjoyed." You played Robin in an isometric world and had a time limit with which to save the day. This could include any number of different things, such as rescuing Will Scarlet from angry villagers, playing in fairy circles, 
and going to the pub. Greetings, stout yeoman of the bar, he quotes. Looking back, replaying it probably helped me with comprehending Majora's Mask. Can anyone help me with what game it was and if it's on GOG? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, question mark. Also, what type of game is it if you play Heroes of the Storm with a team of friends against bots? Is this a co-op mode available within a team-based wizard game? Thanks, John. Um, I'll answer the second part first because it's it's continue a hair-splitting process we began on the <laughs> previous podcast. I don't know in that context. I have a bit of a blind spot for this because I think it's... So. No. Can I split <laughs> this hair? I feel like fucking Oppenheimer. <laughs> Can the hair be split any further? I don't think so. I have become you found, like the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> the hair singularity. Yeah, exactly. Um, I still think of bots in multiplayer games as like a substitute for people. So no, you're in competition with the team of AI. With Samulkra. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I don't know. Uh, I think we found this Robin Hood game, though, didn't we? we? Have. Through the magic of the internet google <laughs> i think i think it might be the adventures of robin hood uh which was in 1991 um uh action rpg for what platform for ms dos mm-hmm. atari st and amiga it was by a developer called first light um and uh it, you control robin robbing the rich to give to the poor in Sherwood Forest, defeating henchmen. Um, there's an isometric def- um, interface. Um, and it looks a bit like Populous, I think, I believe. Hmm, that sounds about right. Can I give you a fact about it? Go for it. Reviewer Gary Witter. PC gave- Gamer, UK and US early days editor Gary yeah. Witter. That's the one. Yeah. He gave the PC version 820. <laughs> <laughs> points 820 sold to the man <laughs> with the arbitrary number system and then he went on to work right star wars so <laughs> <laughs> if he can do it what what noise do you think an 820 translates into uh... <laughs> what was that Get up. i think it was uh, like too many numbers right like uh... wow it's off the scale yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you know what outlet that was for because i so think pc gamers always had thing, 100 points i think it was for ace magazine which i never read 820 820 what was their system it, it was longevity longevity uh presentation ability i don't know multiplayer <laughs> fancy that though 800. Oh, I'd hate to have to review out of a thousand or whatever they were going out. <laughs> a lot depends on the scale there. Because I'm sure like that was just around, like, if, you know, that, it was just a happenstance that was rounded off one. I bet there were 342. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we are, there's a, two staff members fall out of whether they would go for a 627 or a 582 for. What I'd like also is the fact that they probably they probably only use like the, the top three hundred yeah. numbers. Anyway. We're famously bound to <laughs> you know um, place greater value on numbers between seven and and nine over other numbers in that scale. So yeah, they, maybe they go through their own peaks and troughs within each hundred band. <laughs> There's a real passionate feeling that maybe we're spending too much time in the three seventies. Yeah, it's like you know. 
People keep talking about that in 820 games, but my favorite is a 750. Yeah, it's a bit of a hipstery score to go to 820 rather than <laughs> the more mainstream 860 or the more the safer 780. <laughs> anyway, that's number wang. <laughs> Let's rotate the boards. Um, Russ writes, Dear CNC, as I only started listening to the pod about a year ago, I've been catching up on past casts. I just got to the handful where you discussed Shadows of Mordor with such enthusiasm that it inspired me to go back and try it again. Last time I managed to play for nine minutes before quitting and uninstalling. <laughs> My Steam playtime is now 61 minutes and I've just uninstalled it again and will probably never go back. The game has a number of good ideas and systems that should have engaged my interest far longer, but I was constantly irritated by how, how, con how controls were translated into movement. I press a button and one of a handful of attack animations are played. I press the same button and a different attack animation plays. The counter actions are even worse. And not only does the game flash a prompt, you need to activate a counter. It also pauses the action to give me time to press it. The game's uninstall fate was sealed when I spent a five minute battle just watching for the counter prompt while mashing the attack button which is actually a pretty accurate description of the combat in all of the Batman games and Shadow of Mordor. Yep. Um, this prompted a couple of questions from my favorite PC gaming podcast. Uh, one, Far Cry and Assassin's Creed are rightfully vilified for their QTE sequences, but the combat in Shadows of Mordor felt to me like a series of linked QTE sequences because my position relative to the other combatants and previous action had no impact on what my next button press achieved. Am I missing something? Why is it bad during a wilded animal attacking Kyriat, but not during an orc fight in Mordor? To me, they both break the immersion just as awkwardly. Two, what games can you suggest where the player's actions are more closely translated into what the character on screen does? I accept there'll be always some sort of obfuscation layer between control, input, and on-screen action, but some games manage to hide this far more successfully. For example, Dirt Rally makes pushing a little controller stick left and right feel pretty close to what it actually feels like to drive a rally car down a stage, which I know from personal experience. Thanks for the great podcasts. Russ. So, this is interesting, because I yeah. think Mordor's combat is enormously successful, but not a QTE. But it, sound, it sounds like he hasn't played enough to get to the point where you are making tactical choices over... About which you're abilities doing. you're going to use yeah. and when. Like, which is the same as Batman. Like, you you are responding to sort of... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a base, basic rhythmic element to combat, yeah. which... Um, so... One thing is that... Um, so one thing I think that makes a difference an important groundwork thing, the difference between a QTE and this sort of like, um, almost Simon says combat system is QTEs tend to be bad because they use arbitrary button prompts. Um, this sort of like reactions based combat, um, uses consistent button prompts. A certain button is always dodge. A certain button is always light attack. A certain button is always grab, like whatever the verbs are, mm -hmm. they will always be consistent. And even if the game does something cinematic with the camera at a particular moment, it will still be using exactly the same control vocabulary that it is using when you have more control over the yep. game. That is, I think, what makes it a coherent system as opposed to an incoherent system where suddenly you just have to press left trigger because that's how you don't fall off a cliff, even though jump is a different button. Yeah. Um, that's, that's thing one. Thing two is that I think it's... So Mordor and Batman, what they do is they, they've created a system for building complexity on top of a mob fight that would be unmanageable with a traditional combat system. So, um, or would be unmanageable while also having sort of presentation that's appropriate for the world that set in. So games with more, um, which give you more fine control over exactly what your character will do, which in this 
context probably means games like you mentioned devil may cry or uh, metal gear revengeance or something like that um have to abstract a great deal about how enemies move how you move how things clump up they become more arcadey mm. um in order to be good basically mordor and assassin's creed and batman want to make you feel like you're in a big multi-man melee but still in control and so their basic layer is a form of rhythm action game where you can always attack and the direction of your attack will be based on where you're pushing the stick but um you know the animations will cycle through a kind of smooth animation loop of light attacks or heavy attacks whatever it is you're doing um and you can maintain that combo uh, for as long as you don't get hit and yeah. characters will come in and hit you occasionally when that blow comes in that's when you have to get off the attack button and onto momentarily the counter button in order to keep your combo going yeah and that is the super basic thing like it is essentially a guitar hero track that is rolling towards you with like a or like like a bass note and a single and it's about observation yeah. and reading kind of yeah it's about seeing where the next threat's going to come from yeah in order to build this sort of like sustainable combat where you're not getting hit and therefore your combo isn't breaking yeah and what those games then do because they'll use a combo system is at certain combo thresholds so eight consecutive attacks without being hit they'll enable you to then chain that into a guaranteed takedown for example, and it'll give you your first lethal take, like a decapitation or something. But you can only do that decapitation if you get eight hits in a row, um, which means ensuring that you're getting those counters at the right time so that you are able to build that combo. And then as the game gives you more tools and becomes more complicated, it gives you other ways of spending that combo, which might be like an AOE knockback, or it might be a specific way of countering a specific enemy. Uh, both Mordor and Batman do this, where yeah. certain enemies will need you to do something specific, like pull away a shield or disarm them and before that you. Can... That adds interest. It like is not like it isn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel arbitrary usually because it means you've got to invest time doing stuff that leaves yeah. you open to attack. From and you have to be able to read the combat. Yeah, and that takes time and mastery, and it's and and it's rewarding like you know this combat system would not be able to sustain a you know like, and tom francis has put hundreds of hours into batman's combat rooms which just use this combat system because it's such a good core loop it just mm -hmm. works quite it has a different set of priorities than most combat systems in games um yeah and it isn't yeah sure it's not about direct directly choosing exactly who you're going to hit with exact timing that you want to do like it's not it isn't that kind of game but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have yeah, it's a lot certainly of nuance. Not a Q, a it's certainly of, not a QTE at all. Like, and, it, and it has a lot of choice and a lot of strategy to it. Yeah, absolutely. The way I would think about it is, yeah, that Guitar Hero analogy. Yeah. Like when you start to learn the game, maybe it's enough to just hold down one button and press to the rhythm. And then it adds a second button. So you've got to alternate between two notes. And then as it adds more abilities and so on, you're adding functionally more notes and chords and things that you can be doing until... You're constantly doing new and different things, but it's all built off of the, this very basic rhythm that's mm -hmm. established early. So um, it feels like it's maybe a, a case of, in this case, recalibrating your sense of what the game is doing with that system because it isn't simply arbitrarily waiting for your response in a, in a way that a QTE does where it mm -hmm. just throws something at you and says, press this button now or lose some health. It is It wants you to get into a rhythm with it and when you get there that's when it becomes really rewarding yeah in terms of games that translate 
more closely to what the character on screen does. It's just a lot of the third person beam up games, that action games, DMC being a, a prime example. Yeah. Um, for honor, if you're into that. Yeah. Particularly slower, more deliberate. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty exact with what it, how it wants you to position yourself and so on. Yeah. Um, both work. Both are perfectly valid ways to construct a game, in my opinion, yeah. combat wise. Absolutely. Uh, Seb writes, Dear Nooms and Numenaras, I have the unfortunate trait that when I play through a game the second time around, I tend to just choose mostly the same options and choices, mostly because they seem like the optimal approach. It's not that I'm trying to power game, it's just in the moment I struggle to make choices that don't appear to lead to the best gear or experience. I was listening to you wax lyrical on tides of Numenera na 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 na, and I had an epiphany. What would happen if you chose the fir- if what you chose the first time around was removed as an option? Has anyone done this before? Do you think it could be useful or interesting, at least as an optional extra for multiple playthroughs? Keep up the good work, Seb. It's really nice. I really struggle with that as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, all my Mass Effect playthroughs are as the same person who makes the same decisions. Yeah. Basically. I can't be. I can't play an evil character. Just. <laughs> Don't live with the second. I'd love a game that um made that part of the not maybe not the story explicitly, but part of the setup for the game is that what you choose this time around you're not gonna get yeah. next time. That'd yeah. be really interesting. I can see it being very hard to design for, but yeah, that was really nice, yeah. really interesting. But we don't idea. have to, Alex. We yeah. can just tell game designers to do it. The boffins upstairs. Yeah. We'll tell we'll take it to them down in down in the development house. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Like a sweatshop. Yeah. <laughs> Take it to the kids downstairs. Make this a perfect RPG where all your choices are meaningful, but where you have to make different choices every time you play it, please. It's a really, I think it's really elegant. I think it's really fun. Yeah, that'd be, it's a great idea. Like it would be a really, I think it'd be a great, um, it might be a really good fit for something like a Twine style format where like if you kept looping the same adventure, but you kept getting locked in yeah, and yeah, things yeah. changed, that'd be sweet. Yeah, repeating lives, but, but yeah, they won't offer you the ones you've already done. Groundhog Day, but um, every time you're not allowed to pick the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, I think that that, that does. I mean, I, I'm uh, I admire Tommy Gunpoint, Tommy Tommy Francis for hey, many you're things. A Tom, you're a Tom Francis Tom, for many I'm reasons. Big, I'm a big Tom Francis <laughs> Francis. Um, but yeah, his ability to play games in divergent ways, yeah, is one of them. I you know I can't just can't do it. No, I um, a, a role play my particular approach too hard. I just just can't not be Chris. No, well, it can't not be the character that I've decided I am in yeah. this context, like a big dickhead. Um, <laughs> I've done like I guess one extra playthrough of Mass Effect where I changed Shepard and did something different with it, but it felt wrong. But it, um, you know, like you you play it, you know, you play a lot of games, uh, you know, where you have lots of choice, um, where where you know mechanical choice, let's say, like where you could. You could be the, the stealth person or you can be the magic user mm. or something like that. Um, Those uh, things are not. And it often feels up. like the way you're doing it is the only thing you could possibly do. You know, yeah. this is, this is clearly the way. And like, and then because games are designed to allow you passage through them and to make you feel powerful and stuff, you know, mostly, uh, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is the only way to kill it. Do it because that's the way you did it. Um, and then you read about someone else who did it in a completely different way or that, they they used the what was the, again this is a tom thing um what was that series he did where he played uh i think it was oblivion it might have been skyrim as as an uh, illusionist yeah and, yeah and you know sort of 
I would have assumed it had been possible, impossible, you know. Mm. I never used any of those spells ever because they just sounded like a boring and, you know, like probably funny, yeah, but yeah. totally impractical. And I just wanted to play, you know, and I just, I wish that I did that. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I think one of the hardest things for a game developer is to get players to play in a, to be like, to, to mix things up without being yeah. forced to, you know, I can probably understand why much people lament them. There are they, we've taken away weapons and upgrades levels because... Yeah, it actually even gets you to do stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what game is amazing at this? Go for Zelda. It. Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yes, it's there's amazing a whole weapon system this designed on this project. Like people um, through their... Oh, God, we just need to see this podcast. People through the toys at the prime because your weapons break in that game. Yeah. But they break because that means you use the other amazing weapons. You have to know that like this is a great and wonderful thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What a game. What? what? Game of the year. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, finally, our, our last question for the evening before I, we just fall down the Zelda love hole. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, that love hole. Which is a phrase I'm never using again <laughs> and I already regret using. Um, Luke writes, hello, creative crowbars. I listened to Chris's review of Ghost Recon as I would any normal review. I feel I need to interject at this point to say that things I say on the Creative Crowbar are not reviews because... A lot of it is bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Except, I will make an exception if I, if I make a noise at the end that establishes a score. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's fine. <laughs> I didn't make a noise at the end of the Ghost Recon Terrain, so. It would have been a. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Let's go. <laughs> anyway. I listened to Chris's review of Ghost Recon as I would any normal review, but I was struck by the end where he explained his feelings beyond the gameplay itself and spoke about how the game uh, seem to either supremely ignore the social context around it in the best case or jingoistically take advantage of it in the worst. What I was struck by was not that sometimes games are bad at dealing with this sort of thing, but more that this important aspect of the game was at the end of the review. I understand it's not necessarily a big deal, since I wasn't going to stop listening to you halfway through, but more about the aspects of the game that we as consumers of game put value on first, the gameplay, the graphics, AI, the fun that can be had, etc., followed by the social meaning or context. This is a relatively unfair interpretation of Chris's review, but it leads me to my questions. Do you expect that this sort of social contextualization will become more important for AAA games anytime soon? For example, I love Batman Arkham Knight. It has amazing gameplay, but the story is more than just bad as a piece of literature. It contains several damaging portrayals of women. And while indie games while indie games like Gone Home or Life is Strange seem to already progress beyond this, we don't really discuss or care about the uh, graphics or AI or whatever for these games, only their social impact. What would it take for you to either not speak about a game because of these types of issues, or to a lesser extent to not discuss it's potentially fun gameplay is it better for you to critically analyze these sorts of games either so we as consumers can separate gameplay from social media as much as possible or at least force us to be aware of these troubling aspects of games um thanks for having a quick old gander at me words luke so uh, i was joking a bit about like things i say on the pod aren't necessarily reviews but i think i kind of mean it in this context because if i was and i have structured a written review around a point like this i'm not i'm not good then i then i think you can say i've, I've expressed value with where i place something in the order of a discussion mm. in the context of a unscripted improvised conversational discussion about a game it comes up when it comes up so while sometimes I, you kind of like oh, i want to reserve time to talk about that so i'll do all this, the description stuff first yeah. and we can get that out of the way and I, I mean i think he totally has a a valid yeah, point about absolutely. how you weight reviews and what you place emphasis on that games have a particularly t complicated relationship with however in this specific context particularly in the context of the ghost recon thing i know at the time i was conscious of like 
I know that the issue of this game's really weird politics both has to come up and will likely be a big discussion. So in a way, I actually at the time was thinking, I kind of want to get through all of my chunky game systemsy problems with it because I know that once we get on to maybe you shouldn't be able to paint a Bolivian flag on your face, wear a cowboy hat and run around blowing up Bolivia, mm-hmm. um, we're probably not coming back from there. And that's just more about how podcasts are structured and how things work. So it didn't necessarily express, on my part, I didn't express the opinion that those important those issues were less important, more about my perceived sense of how they would impact the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do totally think this is, you know, um, there's... In, in in years of doing this, I don't know about you, Alex, I've never felt I found the right, a perfect way that fits all games for introducing these things alongside everything else. It varies so every hard. time. It's a big question and it's super hard. It's funny, actually, that um should come up today, really, because um uh, I've been reading Persona 5 reviews today, uh, mm. this afternoon, which came out, they've been started published today. And I read two reviews, uh, which both very specifically brought up a a single bad issue with the game um which is its depiction or lack of um uh homosexual characters um both of which had real problems with 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 this um uh they dealt with the two reviews dealt with them very well but one of them differently uh one of them was um cascor's uh uh review for Eurogamer. Really good review. I recommend everybody to read it. It's wonderful. Um and she brought it up as quite a big thing right I'd say right in the middle of the review. Uh she started with very effusive like this is a wonderful game, very stylish kind of the kind of review that really gets you excited in a game. Um and then but you know I could feel that she but I need you to know this, you know. Mm. The review with the, the the comments were then kind of, why are you bringing up your SJW, yeah. which we'll get into in a second. Um, uh, uh, but that that was one approach. Um, the other approach was on um, Polygon by um, Philip Collar. Philip Collar, um, and it did it brought up this um, this this uh, uh, subject in a box out separated bit down the side of the review, so it wasn't actually part of the main body of the text. Uh, which kind of meant that it was very separated. Like you're not going to get it as part of a sort of a holistic discussion of the game. But on the other hand, it is also kind of in some ways kind of elevated, you know, here's a discussion point. You should know about this. Mm. Um, like, which is sort of slightly sort of at odds, I'd say kind of things. Um, I think it's always tempting to put this kind of thing in the box out. Yeah. And the thing I, I really want a separate, safe space where i can talk about the thing which kind of is at odds in my own opinion you know both reviews mm. really like the game they really like the game and it was clear that the that their issues with it uh you know social issues with it weren't actually affecting their overall score for it and that was um but of course like it's part of the game you know i've played personas in the past which and i've kind of you know enjoyed so much about them and also felt really uncomfortable about stuff yeah i think for me it does belong in in the the text of a review always because um ultimately it is a factor in the experience of a game and i don't ideally i i don't want to break a review up into such easily 
um, separated out chunks. Even there's necessary to an extent you just structure, but you should be talking about the evolving experience of the game ultimately, and that will include all of the things about it. Um, because there is nothing that isn't political, for example. So you have to kind of acknowledge these things alongside everything else. Yeah. However, I think the broader tension is between whether a game, like the all game reviews exist on many different gradients in terms of approach. But one of the biggest is sort of pure consumer advice at one end and, and criticism closer to literary criticism or film criticism or, or something like that, you know, um, at the other. And both approaches are valid. And I would argue actually that social issues, issues of um, sensitivity and taste and so on have a place in consumer reviews. Absolutely. Because you would discuss in any other form of entertainment, you would discuss this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's simply that games come from a point of view where um, traditionally to a, to a greater extent, they were thought of more like pieces of equipment or technology um, than as cultural objects so they get reviewed on the basis of what are seen as sort of you know measurable technical things mm. at the consumer end mm. that's when you get into the how many levels are there and how many polygons are there end of the spectrum and there's this assumption that um trying to come to an assessment of other games responsibility or not or some or responsibleness or not with these issues is to somehow drag an unwanted part of more academic criticism into the review, which I don't think it is at all, but it's certainly perceived that way by some parts. And that leads to the bigger problem, which is that um, there are part, there are vocal parts of the audience for game reviews now that react um, instantly. instantly and only to the presence of any kind of social commentary in a review. Yeah. And there is no correct answer around that. You cannot get around it. It's just a factor of producing work in the public eye on the internet, which is a huge shame because um, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how sensitively, carefully, fairly you introduce these ideas. The same get this shit out of my video game coverage <clears throat> kickback will occur regardless. Like the example that stuck with me was my review of Hotline Miami 2, um, which had a... Um, has a, a rape scene in it that had previously been controversial when they when they showed it off at a preview thing and they subsequently added the ability for you to disable it before the game had even started and that game had so many problems it had bad level design it was glitchy there were, there were so many issues with it i thought it was a real letdown um and i was so conscious that but i also thought that that uh that scene at the beginning the fact that they let you disable it demonstrated how unnecessary it was um if they were actually saying something with it to, to justify including something that loaded and that potentially harmful or you know potentially distressing to people in the game if they had something really had something to say with it they would have stuck to their convictions and either kept it in the game or if they decided they didn't have something to say with it they would have just removed it from the game giving you that are you comfortable with scenes of sexual violence yes no toggle at the beginning felt like a, cr a huge creative cop-out mm. um and a expression of a lack of confidence in the idea on the part of the designer yeah. which um i criticized in the review and 
at no point in that did I actually say that I don't believe that the right game couldn't responsibly include themes or sexual violence or anything like that. Um, but subsequently, that review, uh, particularly due to subsequent kind of Gamergate-related stuff and everything else, uh, including recently, that gets rolled out as an example of like, here they come again, the SJWs punishing games for including this stuff. And if you actually read the review, it's abundantly clear that... Mm. I gave the game the score I did because of factors that included that, I think, inelegance in its depiction of the things it wants to depict and its lack of confidence in its own ideas, but also the fact that it's not a very good game. And, but it didn't matter at all. The narrative was set by that thing. And that's, and that's a poisonous thing that every person writing public games criticism has to deal with. And so I can understand the need to, as you said, silo that stuff out into a box out or, um, or maybe not mention it. Like, I had this genuine dilemma reviewing Mass Effect Andromeda recently because I really wanted to praise it for having... Um, I mean, partly there was an issue of simple... It's a big game and word count and things like that. But I, you know, genuinely going back and forth in my head about should I have mentioned its diversity? Because it doesn't get everything right and some people have written good things since about um, its problems with trans representation in particular. However, one notable way in which the Bioware have moved on in their priorities since Mass Effect 1 is there are um, male and female... There's a, a, a good balance of male and female characters in different roles throughout the game. And all of the alien races um, where it is applicable have male and female characters. And in Mass Effect 1, almost all of the races were functionally monogendered because mm. they were either all male or all female. Like in Mass Effect 1, all Krogans were male, all Turians were male, all Salarians were male, all Quarians were female, and all uh, Asari uh, with female moments, sorry, I'm monogendered anyway. But, and this game, clearly, I can see the, the the investment in in terms of resources and time to ensure that every single alien race, including all the new ones, have male and female characters. And, and I, I wanted to mention this because um, I think it's an it, it, it's laudable of them to have gone this extra mile. And in, in one case, it, it demonstrates that the industry has modernized in the 10 years since the first game and has more modern priorities in some ways. Um, but I didn't include it in the review in the end, partly due to space. Um, and because I felt like it was, it was more worth putting that time into talking about the strengths of the characterization and the plot more generally. However, I kind of regret it. And also to completely cop to it, there was an element to which I knew the moment I bring that up, the conversation about that game was wayward regardless. I felt I'm, You'd be kind of... That's going to be the only thing that gets taken you'd away You'd be putting it. the... Yeah, the, the review would be not only yeah. the one that, that does that, because ultimately also the one right, that does that. You write this stuff because you want to be understood. You want your mm. ideas to be passed. And unfortunately, it's hard to balance the fact that I want to say this stuff and I want to express it and it's important to me. But if I include these ideas at all, it will drown mm. the discussion of the games because of the effect of people dogpiling on those ideas. Yeah. And there's no easy answer to that at the moment. Sorry, that's a bit of a ramble, but there's just no easy answer to that at the moment. Yeah, I think some, uh, and I think that I think that games have a a problem. Like there, there is a it's harder to write about this stuff with games than film and books because often social things are part of the fabric of a book, and because they're about stories and people, and the same with films and whatever. You know, they they're much more holistic things where the production. And the dialogue and the story and the representation of things is all part of a whole. Whereas games, 
the great games they are quite they are holistic where the the mechanics that you're doing the, the play into the story that you're playing play into the representation mm. of things but mostly they're not like you know uh ghost recon the mechanics are that you're shooting stuff that is like completely like uh isolated from mm. from the fact that you're in bolivia uh which is totally isolated from you know other things you know and so covering in a you know maybe you've got a thousand words to write about it yeah. you know covering all that stuff you know in a in a review that you want to flow and be readable without being a staccato set of kind of and now i'm going to talk about this separate thing yeah. is incredibly hard and you know to, to do the, the 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 talking about representation and social elements often feels like you're suddenly off the point like is this something that players are going to um think about when they're playing you know I, I think that's i think that's that's bang on and that maybe points more eloquently towards i guess the situation I did with the mass effect thing which was i've got a finite amount of space i need to focus on the the most sort of uh, of course you say striking so i don't want to make it sound like diversity is an important there's a difference between important and visible like highly visible i think that you know it's it's diversity successes are important but they're almost like an invisible success that kind of powers away in the background um and i'd love to get to the point with games where you didn't need to mention them because it was just taken for granted so maybe there's an idealist idealistic element of saying i'm just going to talk about the things that jump out at you um but ultimately yeah you've got to stick to the sort of experience of play not just the experience of thinking about the game after the fact mm. and that's a really really tricky balance basically it's just really not easy and, and, and particularly because particularly when you're talking about games there is no easy segue to this stuff yeah almost it's ever like crash for the cut. right game so like imagine something like night in the woods or life is strange this segue is a lot easier because the mechanics of the game are closely tied into the this type of story that it's telling and, mm. and its social awareness or whatever else if you want to get from you know, there's the same piece of writing, including a, a technical breakdown of a combat system or an RPG upgrade system and the discussion of the social awareness or not of a piece of writing. But the two, it's, that is a hard, I mean, yeah. it, the, um, really hate that the point I'm landing on here is it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I do a silly job for children. I mean, but like, great writers, you know, like in the right place and the right time as well. Um, they can manage to do it, you know, mm. um, but like, you know, not without a lot of toil. Yeah. And it's also and not as simple as something that I've discovered is, and this is the other thing is it's a, it's not any harder from a constructing a piece of writing point of view. It's hard to get this stuff right from a personal point of view as well. Cause I have to acknowledge that I have certain perspectives and privileges that affect yeah. the way I view things and read things. And I, I feel comfortable telling somebody, I think this is a great combat system and you'll probably enjoy it if you like these types of games. I don't feel comfortable telling somebody, I think you will find yourself, I think you will find your own uh, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, whatever, accurately represented in this game, because I probably can't tell you that. And that's a, that's real tricky territory. I want to, I think in some cases it's okay to abdicate that kind of thing. Maybe the responsible thing is to say, look, ask, ask a different writer if they've done this right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad I didn't say, you know, roll out something strident in the review, like, andromeda nails representation and diversity yeah it's like it's not really i mean i couldn't comment on that because i'm a white middle class male you know yeah exactly so there's there's an element to which it's like i think i can 
indicate which way this thing is trending and point out big problems mm. or big you know or successes broadly but it is not my place to say to some extent you know i can't rubber stamp stuff it's not like i can do like a bbfc set of symbols on the back yeah. which is like yep yeah. it's got ladies in it yes it's got men in it yes it's got um you know a variety of you know like etc cetera, etc cetera. like hard complicated i think that um on, to, to end on a light note though yeah uh, i mean there is you know the, the way that games are talked about you know on in major publications online you know um is the review it used to be that review would be the last time that our, yeah. our publications would write about a game now it's the start you know and and as a metrometer you know you're getting enormous numbers of, uh, of things which are specifically talking about you know subjects around the game the, yeah. the, the reviews it takes some pressure off the review even though the review over time ends up being the document of the, that game yeah. but then even then like games change and stuff and reviews like we will we all know that reviews are kind of ridiculous like a year after release because the game isn't that absolutely and you could say that you know this stuff should be in a review because it, it needs to factor into a score however the question of balancing what factors into a score anyway was already difficult <laughs> before a lot of these other factors became a common part of games criticism. So honestly, we are better off finishing on a noise. <laughs> Our reviewer of reviews is... <sighs> That's, we're, in the, we're in a similar place here. That's really good. All right. Um, wow. I mean, that was a long pod, Alex. It was. Two, two people. Us. Yeah. I feel exhausted. I mean, that's mostly not because of the talking, though. No. <laughs> we just both need a bit of time away from this chair. Um, so if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can email us at questions and create, create, if you can email us at questions and create and crowbar.com. It's been a long pod. Uh, you can also, if you're listening to this on the morning of Friday, 31st of March, shout them at us at 4.30 PM on the rest stage. I think if I catch one person with that information at this point, then I've done my plug duty now and forever. Um, you can hang out with our community and find out more information on the tournaments, etc., on our discord channel, the link for which will be in the show notes. You can tweet us and follow us on Twitter at Creighton Crowbar. And the Creighton Crowbar is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers, without whom we wouldn't have such lovely microphones to whisper into, or the opportunity to do cool spin-off things like the Miniatures Pod and the uh, lock-ins, which are our single-game focused drill-down pods that we will need to do about Zelda at some point. Game of the year. Game of the year. Um, if you would like to follow us as, oh, sorry, the Patreon is at uh, patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar before I forget. This is one of them rocky outros, Alex. I can already feel it. <laughs> Smooth. Thanks, man. Um, if you would like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C T H U R S T E N, and you are Alex. I'm at rotational, R O T A T I O N A L. <laughs> About as good as we could have both hoped. <laughs> good to be yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for listening, for listening. everybody.